Welcome back to Dark Static, a podcast where we chronicle, catalog, everything found footage and analog horror. I'm your host, Alex Schiffer, and with me always is Zach. Hey, I am with you always. always. Uh, and now the movie will be. It better, yeah. <laughs> you better be with me always. Just like this movie, that'll be with me always. Not by, uh, not by choice. Mm-mm. Never by choice. Mm-mm. That's that's the deal with the horror. Well, I guess that's the deal with horror in general. You're never asking for this. <laughs> this one, uh, this one got me in the first half. They got me in the first half. Well, we'll find out uh, more about what we're talking about in a bit. Today, we are. Uh, our episode is about the Outwaters. If you listen to our last episode on Skinnerink, I think we kind of teased that. But yeah, this is the latest found footage. We're back to found footage, by the way. Last time was kind of avant-garde, uh, I, I'd say. Um, there's definitely found footage technique in there, but this is now a full-on uh, found footage film. And of course, we're talking about The Outwaters, uh, directed by Robbie Banfitch, um, who actually did a ton of stuff on this film. And I was actually really impressed when the credits hit that he did a lot more than I expected. He both uh, directed, shot, produced, wrote, and did a bit of the sound design uh, for this film. Kind of like, kind of like how uh, Kyle Edward Ball in uh, Skinner Inc. Uh, did it. Well, also helped out a little bit with the sound design and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, um, you know, more about, you know, the technicalities of it in a, in a bit, but I just wanted to kind of, you know, give a little introduction there with, uh, you know, comparisons to skin and rink. These actually came out around the same time. I saw this film, I think a couple of weeks after I saw skin and rink in the theaters when it, when it hit, I, I was so glad though, because I thought it was, I thought I was going to miss this one. It was only in theaters again for, you know, so, so long. And when I was looking it up, the closest theater playing this to me was in New Jersey. And I remember my, my friend and I were like, you know what? Maybe it's time to take a road trip to New Jersey just to just for one film. So yeah, have you ever had to go? If you, have you ever seen a movie that was like so limited and it didn't really play near you? So you had to really go out of your way, go out of town to, to see it. I was living in Chicago there was a showing of possession in like the suburbs of Chicago and I had already seen the movie, mm-hmm. but I wanted to show it to a friend of mine. And so we did travel for <laughs> how long did you travel? travel to do that. Uh, I, that was like about an hour. Damn. It was in, it was playing in like Chicagoland area. Yeah. Like the, the outskirts, like Joliet, Illinois. In Joliet. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, I used to, um, and this is a few years ago even, one of the best IMAX theaters uh, is actually in New Rochelle. I'm on Long Island. Um, But my friend and I went to one of the best IMAX theaters in New Rochelle. 
and we saw fucking a couple of great movies there uh, in that IMAX theater. We saw, no, most notably, we saw Apocalypse Now. Um, the when when the final cut of the Apocalypse Now came out, we went to see that in IMAX. It was a great experience, and I'm glad that uh, you know we were able to catch it in, in its limited uh, limited run. But if you've ever been to the New Rochelle Regal, that has one of the biggest IMAX screens I've ever seen. And it's like an hour out for me, I, I think. Probably the same distance from where you are to, to Joliet. It's kind of the same kind of the same trip. But yeah, I was I was excited when I first saw the trailer for, for this movie. And just like a lot of films that I, I watch now when I when I hear about them, um, I'll immediately be like, Oh man, I, I need to see like when the release date is and I don't think anything was set for the Outwaters just uh, when when the when the fir- when the trailer first hit and when people started talking about it, and I saw one showing in somewhere in a random part of New Jersey, and I showed I showed the trailer to my friend and he's like, "Let's, I mean, honestly, what's stopping us?" And I'd be like, "Yep, yep, that's the attitude. That's the attitude that I want to hear." It's also it's such an event. I, I feel like, I, and I feel like it's such a lost thing now to like go out of your way to find a screening of a of a smaller film and i feel like that kind of adds to the experience it looks like this film premiered in like the new jersey film festival yeah well robbie Um, banfish actually is from new jersey okay i was gonna say because they they mentioned that a few times new jersey in the movie yeah they're like oh it's just like jersey they're talking about like la or something like a couple times he makes the joke about how how different this is Jersey. Just Jersey. I didn't catch that. I don't think I catch that both times that I that I watched that. Uh and I caught yeah. a lot <laughs> during uh my especially through my second watch. But um but that yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Um and that's funny cuz you know the characters kind of take their own names for this film. Um, so you kind of have to decide like, oh, you know, what's, uh, I think that happens in a lot of found footage films, actually, that where where the characters will just play with their real names or a variation of their real name to kind of bridge the reality of it, uh, even more. But yeah, uh, so I was really excited when I, I saw the first trailer for this film, um, kind of in the same way that, uh, you know, the Skinnamarink trailer really, really hit the Outwaters kind of got the same, uh kind of got the same do and it's so funny that they were just they just happened to be so close to one another it's like you know all the hype for skin and marine kind of uh came and went and then you know immediately like oh yeah we're gonna hit you with another uh with another small a small indie horror film um that's gonna that's gonna make waves and uh i think that's how the world turns uh for me this is what i look forward to throughout the year the most um so it's good to see that we uh, kind of got that all, all out of the way at the beginning of the year. I can't wait to see, um, you know, what else the year has in store in terms of uh, in terms of stuff like that. But um, yeah, so, yeah, so early. I was, uh, yeah, it's it's really early for for stuff like this to be hitting. But you know, what? I, I feel like in the last few years, all you know, a lot of great, uh, interesting films hit in the in, in the beginning of the year now. But yeah, uh, I was so prepared to go out to New Jersey to see the Outwaters. And then I I immediately saw, it's like, oh, the Alamo Draft House in NYC, Brooklyn, uh, got it. And I'm like, oh, perfect. You know what? Fuck it. 
fuck it. Uh, we're we're going to the you know it's the best theater. It's the best theater. So we're just gonna we're just gonna see it there. We're doing this. <laughs> we're doing this. Uh, so I was I was happy enough to have gotten to see this with a bunch of friends in the um, uh, the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn. Uh, one of my favorite theaters uh, in the in uh, in New York City. And if you are uh, also uh, interested in the Outwaters and, and trying to watch it. It is r- available right now on Screenbox, um, which you might not know a whole lot about. I certainly didn't know a whole lot about Screenbox um, before the Outwaters, but I had actually seen something on it before. Um, I I had purchased Terrifier 2 to watch it uh, from, I guess, I, I purchased it through Amazon uh, to get a Screenbox, and I didn't know it was for a Screenbox account <laughs> so i i had been subscribed to, to screenbox for a while just because i wanted to watch terrifier 2 so was um, it worth it? it you know what it was worth it except for the part where chris jericho shows up and doesn't die for some reason don't know why that happened um sorry if that's a spoiler for terrifier 2 someone not getting fucking brutally a top build cast member doesn't get brutalized I I feel is is kind of a spoiler for Terrifier 2 but um uh I digress uh we're talking about uh The Outwaters talking about The Outwaters by uh Robbie Banfitch also starring um Angela Basolis um who plays um uh another uh character's name is also Angela um Scott Sh- uh Scott Shamel plays Scott Zagoric and actually he's playing Robbie's um Robbie's brother in this film and Michelle May who's Michelle August um and there's a few other um tertiary actors I don't really see a lot most notably um uh the mother of Scott and Robbie in the film is played by um Robbie Banfitch Robbie Banfitch's actual mother uh Leslie Ann Banfitch which is uh really interesting um again like kind of fun uh using their real first names uh in a in a found footage film i feel like that uh is a common theme we're gonna see once we get through you know a whole lot of this catalog i will say after the outwaters it doesn't look like a whole lot of new found footage stuff coming out so we'll probably take a, a time machine back to back to the good old 90s and start with um and, and start going uh, chronologically through those uh through the, all those classics again. But for right now, let's get into The Outwaters. Zach, what'd you think of The Outwaters? I fucking... I love this movie. Hell yes. <laughs> this movie is so good. Uh, and a big part of that is the surprise of it, like discovering what this movie is. But I just like that it it abandons the need to follow like strict rules in order to just show you something that feels new. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. really the big thing that I think it comes down to is that like, especially when you're watching like what you think is a certain type of horror movie found footage. Like I think at this point, a lot of people are tired of it because there's like a certain formula that they expect that it comes with. And this movie yeah. just like kind of pretends to follow that formula for the first half and then like throws it away. 
uh, and does its own thing. Yeah, this movie is a real, it's a real rule breaker. Um, it's very transgressive. Really, not a whole lot like it, you know that that I've that, that I've ever seen. Really, uh, you know, in terms of you know movies that just use the found footage technique to really, you know, not not just uh, you know not just find ways to give you new types of scares, but uh, introduce you know new ideas and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not just the plot that feels like fresh. It's it's like the visuals. Um, and the premise, there's probably really. a way to the plot that makes it sound like other things, but the yeah. way that it is shot looks unlike anything I've ever seen. Like, yeah. Um, and let me just actually read yeah. that premise that uh, that synopsis real quick. Um, again, this is from Letterboxd, um, which I, I use for all of our synopsis is uh we all die in the dark um a fucking hard-ass tagline for any movie really um really awesome that's um, some uh, no one can scream in space shit yeah yeah instantly instantly iconic instantly iconic to me um this movie also has a great poster too um i think there's a few different variations of the poster the one i'm talking about is kind of the one that looks like a classic western uh poster with the eye in the sky mm-hmm. um, and uh, the character Michelle walking through the desert with her, with her guitar in the, uh, in the uh, background here. But the uh, synopsis here is four travelers encounter menacing phenomena while camping in a remote stretch of the Mojave desert. Immediately the vibes of the trailer kind of give you that, um, I'm I'm struggling not to say because you know everything can be compared to the Blair Witch and found footage. Everything kind of goes back to the Blair Witch, but when you watch the trailer and you know you see the footage of the characters going into the desert, you know the desert and you know they they use the desert in this movie like how Blair Witch uses the wilderness. You know, so you watch the trailer and you you know be like, oh, this is Blair Witch, but in the in the desert and. That is not what it is at all. I went through a lot of different um, uh, emotions, I'd say, watching this film. Kind of similarly to how I viewed Skinnamarink. I will say that um, Skinnamarink, I think, did a better job of filling me with pure terror. But I respect the hell out of this movie of her just taking just constant Hail Marys. (laughs) This movie. Lobbing them. Yeah, this movie is throwing fastballs down the middle, and most of the time they're hitting home runs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I fucking love this movie. I the experience of watching this film to me uh, was more in line with it. Didn't reach down into fear into like a real primal fear. It reached down yeah. and inspired me as a creator. You know, not to say that this movie didn't you know make me go through a shit ton of emotions because it did. This movie is a real sensory experience. Similarly to, you know, Skin and Rink, it is a, you know, you know, an audio visual experience. But it is kind of masqueraded by the traditional setup of a um of a standard found footage film. And they use that to just kind of fool you into this sense of comfort saying like oh i know what's gonna happen you know they set up this and that and then they get into the desert and craziness ensues and that would kind of be right 
but you really don't know how the lengths this movie goes to completely annihilate found footage conventions is really something else the, the, this movie you know how did this movie like kind of communicate with you how did it speak to you did it uh did it you know did it come down to pure terror or is it more of an appreciative thing uh it's a little bit of both uh i i i appreciate it as an art form um I, i'll say like i am one of those people who my experience with horror movies like when i say something is scary it's usually like i'm feeling some sort of like anxiety like some feeling of overwhelming anxiety it's it's yeah. not it doesn't tend to be i feel like some people sometimes people define that as like i was shocked or like something like that you know they were yeah they, or they jumped or something like that um where they have a harder time I think really this, communicating what that feeling is and they just say oh i was you know you you felt scared um but there's more ways yeah, to kind of like, peel back those layers Right, like different people experience that differently, and it's it's very subjective. But it's funny hearing you say that Skinnamarink did that for you, and not this movie, because I have the opposite yeah. experience. Yeah, I like I I found Skinnamarink to be something I appreciated, but I didn't feel that like abject terror mm-hmm. for the most part. And then this movie, especially once you make it past the halfway point, I just felt like there was a an uncanniness to some of the visuals and some of the audio design and the stuff that you were seeing. Ooh, that gave we'll it get to that audio design. We'll get to that this audio is design. Like, oh, I'm, man. I'm witnessing like a literal alien experience right now. Like this is, this feels like we might as well be on the surface of another planet. Um, and that <laughs> the way that was communicated and I think a lot of it is in the edit. Like it just gives it this feeling of actually experiencing a real nightmare, which is that things are not, things are disconnected. You just end up in another spot and you don't know why you got there, but also your brain doesn't really piece together that it's, it's strange that you just jumped from one location to another. It's just natural feeling. It's, it's a very abrasive movie. Like it is like, hitting you with sounds and dialogue and it is very inti- it is very intimidating um uh, and and which i will say like i will warn some people actually uh this movie does use strobing effects a lot um i think yeah. i should make it a point to say like if that stuff bothers you like maybe because it's so funny because like i want to recommend this movie to everyone uh because i'm batshit insane but you know, if you know if strobing is a thing that you know you you don't uh, you just can't deal with, then you know maybe stay away from this one. And that's really the only scenario I can think of. Uh, besides, like if spooky gore bothers you, you should stick away. You should stay away from this one. You should also probably not watch most horror. Movies. I don't know. I shouldn't say that either. But <laughs> um, you know what I mean, though. Like um, you know, strobing effects is a big part of you know is actually like a big part of this film so if that's something that you can't deal with then yeah maybe stay away from this one but otherwise man this is such a it's also just like there's a lot of shots of like you're just looking at darkness and you have a single spotlight from a flashlight or something that is illuminating like like a small circle of space most of this film 
can squint a lot through this movie. Um, and I can so, see that being a frustrating experience for like a lot of people. Yeah. Well, um, but I think that's such a, I think that's one of the things that this film completely masters. Um, yes. I think I said in the last episode, there is a specific art to don't show suggest, um, which I think is such a unique thing that horror does brilliantly that some of the best horror does brilliantly and and some of the most effective horror films. The thing that this movie does perfectly is it just reaches that mark that, that barrier between showing and suggesting. And they do that so well with, with the, with the found footage technique with the camera. uh, And most importantly um, with sound um, which I'll I'll go way more into specifics uh, with uh, in a bit just now, but I want to stick to the visual technique of this film, which you would probably maybe be a bit more. Something? Yeah, what what I love about this and what I love about horror in general is like when it brings me into a certain atmosphere, mm-hmm. and um, I think the way that this movie was able to do that. When you say like show don't tell, I feel like there has been a tendency in the last like uh, like since paranormal activity like so yeah. like 12 years 10 years <laughs> whatever it is goddamn to have i know we're <laughs> jesus um <laughs> to they learn the lesson of show don't tell and that was great because it made for a scarier type of movie for a while yeah and, and then I- there's a certain point where i think Sorry, I just want to pause. Uh, can I just say, show don't tell by itself, I think is a very is is by today's standards a kind of archaic term too. Not to say that doesn't still hold weight, but yeah. um, I think pe- people have been saying that for years. <laughs> it's really yeah, it's just I a mean, method, like because like, people talk too much in movies, um, and didn't when people talk too much in cool, movies because yeah. the technology was you know the newest, so people wanted to you know get at, the most out like, of that uh, as possible. And then Orson Welles discovered, tell. like, hey, we can use the camera. Yeah, it's a tool. Like, yeah, you you can watch like Korean cinema and stuff that absolutely tells, and they do it in such a great way. Oh yeah, uh, some great melodramas. Yeah. You know, there was a sentiment that like, okay, there's a certain point where you're making this super cheap horror movie, and I feel like you're not you're you're showing and not telling because you don't have anything to show me if you actually had to. That is not what I get from this movie. <laughs> like this movie does have things to show and it's hiding it. There are like as soon as this movie was over, I was just like going through my head of all the like memorable moments and imagery and like I'll I'll just say like creature feature stuff that like yes. Yes. um you do get to see. And what's what is so enthralling about the way that the movie uses the darkness and the light to kind of hide stuff is that you do get to see a bit of things that are actually happening and are there. And you're so it's so interesting, the little bit that you do get Mm -hmm. that you're like leaning forward. You're just like tilting your head, craning your neck, trying to see like, like, please show me more. Show me like, yeah, show me more. And the movie is so good at like just giving you. Yeah. Like, I know you enough to imagine what the rest of that thing is. Um, yeah, it's like I know what you're. It, it, you know, it's one of the. It's it masters 
the technique of like, you know, use your, you know, show just enough to make your audience fill in the blanks. Um, yeah. But it's also like, hey, we're also not, you know, we're, we're also giving you enough to, you know, really, you know, hammer in what's probably going on. Um, like it doesn't leave too yeah. much to be like, well, it could be this thing. It's like, no, if you're really like paying attention, you kind of know what it is, but they're just showing you enough to make your, you know, to, to, to make your mind fill in the rest of it. I'd say you're filling in the last like 70% of what's actually, you know, being shown here. Um, and that is a wonderful technique to use with. Um, you know what at the end of the day what this movie is is a piece of incredible cosmic horror filmmaking Um, and I feel like the cosmic horror genre works better when it's suggesting things to your for your mind to fill in the blanks Um, and I think Robbie Van Fitch you know has has the eye for that the way this film I will say just masters two things really well in Masters being a, a a movie where, you know, a lot of the most intense things happen in the dark, um, but also in darkness being like pitch black darkness, um, there's pitch black darkness. You know, most of the lighting is a single flashlight frantically pointing at random, you know, seemingly random things because, you know, the person behind the camera is kind of being you know it is you know obviously there's shaky cam but there's also shaky light in this film um it it combines a great horror movie that knows what to do with darkness and also it ends up actually being one of the best sun scorched horror movies as well um because you are not safe in the sunlight either some of the most uh disturbing things in this film happen uh the visually disturbing things happen happen in broad daylight, uh, which uh, is yeah. you know is not a rarity, but uh, in in horror, but um, it's still nice to uh, you know sun scorched horror is a whole uh, is a whole subgenre within a subgenre really, so it's it's nice to see more movies like that. Yeah, no, it's definitely like I mean that is something I've noticed. I mean, some of my, I almost find it scarier at this point when things yeah. take place during the day than at night because there's like a suggestion of like you're so used to the safety of like that dynamic like paranormal activity very clearly sets up these rules where it's like okay during the day you're safe and then during the night scenes you're in trouble you're in trouble yeah um, and the fact that all these things are just kind of there's these, no safety in this there's film. no safety why would why would these beings or you know whatever you're dealing with in this movie <laughs> follow the rules um, and, that, and that's the thing too. Um, what, what I was getting at with the you know kind of the minimalistic visual design for uh, some of the I'll, I'll I'll say it straight up the creatures um, and you know these unknowable beings that uh, this movie deals with. Um, this movie is a heavily heavily oral experience. This is one of the best sound designed films that I've seen in recent years especially maybe the best sound design film period in found footage this is a oh, in found footage. this is an incredible oral experience um and it, it has and it you know goes back to you know saying like this is a is, this is a totally sensory thing with this film um you know there's definitely enough of a storyline to follow which we'll get more into there's definitely you know enough of a storyline and some interesting things that um you know that are that are written out there 
But the best part about, you know, using your, you know, imagination to kind of fill in the blanks, it's done even better and more successfully in a film when those intuitions are supported by awesome sound design. Because now those, as I, and I said this in the last episode too, you know, now your, your, now your thoughts have a soundtrack. And so it's like, oh, what, you know, what, you know, this movie deals with a lot, you know, has a lot of creatures in it, as I'd say, uh, as, as I said, um, and you don't really see a lot of them, um, but you hear them definitely. And they all have really interesting uh, sound design to them. Um, and they mm. come from everywhere, too. Sometimes I will say this movie maybe relies a little too much on heavy distortion and screeching effects, but I will also retort that with, you know, the microphone picking up, only being able to pick up, uh, you know, in the world of the film, the microphone is only able to pick up a, a limited scope of what the sounds might actually be, especially with some of the more cosmic ideas uh, that this film deals with. And this film tries to show you really awesome sound design, sound design for animals and creatures that sound a bit familiar, but have just something off about them, which helps you kind of fill in the blanks a lot, a lot more and becomes more effective, more effective horror um, in that way. Getting back to kind of, you know, we're kind of getting a little bit into the spoiler territory. I know we talked about, you know, there's this movie does have monsters and, uh, you know, suggestions of otherworldly beings. Um, so I think we should get into the movie uh, officially. Um, but yeah, is there anything like any other overall thoughts you have about uh, about the Outwaters in general? No, I'm ready to get into it. Let's get I, into I, it. See, see this movie if you're if, if you're if you can handle if you can handle it a decent amount of gore, <laughs> yeah, uh, a surprising um, amount of gore, awesome. a surprising amount of gore. Yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll see how much uh, gore we can actually get into. I don't know these movies uh, usually aren't that gore. Yeah, so this movie begins with. Um, uh, there's a lot of films, a lot of found footage films we'll, we'll uh, talk about that start out with 911 calls. I feel like it is a very effective way to start out any found footage oh. film. You get the illusion of reality that the, the film is trying to uh, convey almost immediately. Um, and this might have one of the best intro 911 calls I've ever seen in a, in a film. Um, it is totally chaotic. Um, the, you know, there's a 911 oh. call in the film. Um, that also is to me a super, super, super red herring. Um, you think that they're talking about the end of the film uh, in this nine one call, but you actually don't really know when this nine one one call takes place. It is never depicted. That's kind of what it starts yeah. out with. Uh, the uh, first image that you really see is um, is from the nine one one calls from Michelle August, age twenty eight, last seen. August 8th, 2017. And this call is just screaming, uh, multiple people screaming. Most interesting thing I think that goes on in this call is you hear the screaming, but the screaming is kind of warped. Um, it doesn't feel like natural screaming, uh, which already just sets this yeah. uneasy tone for the movie. Uh, what, what did you think about this, this first, uh, this intro 911 call? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's the specifics of it, right? Like, you're right. It's like they sound 
Well, they're screaming, and then they're also you hear someone saying, "What's happening? What's happening?" Like, "Oh God, what's happening?" Yeah, like they and don't. So they're already confused about you know what the the currently happening to them while they're on the phone, mm-hmm. and you have no idea. And it just sounds like they're being. It sounds like they're literally in hell. It like, sounds like they're in hell. They um, and because you're you're also hearing some sound effects too, uh, and. The sound design in this movie is very specific, as we'll get into. You also see pictures, uh, you know, rotating, um, you know, all the characters that you are are going to meet start appearing on screen. And something really interesting that I caught in my second viewing is someone says this already happened uh, in, in this 911 call. Um, it's it's nothing that I caught in the first time. I kind of was just like struck by the pure terror um, and that really caught me off guard uh, for this 911 call, and it really set an awesome mood for uh, for the beginning of this film. This movie is set up with three different cards. There are three memory cards. They're all in chronological order. So the film starts with, naturally, card one. And then we get to our title card here, The Outwaters. By the way, The Outwaters, I don't think means anything i think is a made-up phrase that uh robbie banfitch has uh has um coined for uh for this film specifically kind of like skinner uh which is which is funny um we see uh let's say uh, for internal review memory cards one through three raw raw video sound chronologically assembled chronological assembly um i think that is really important uh for the events uh you know knowing the events that we'll see later the fact that this is that this film is completely taking place in chronological order uh, that will kind of not make any sense when you when when we get to the last like 40 minutes of this film the film starts naturally with card 1 and uh we see Robbie is uh Robbie's the one filming um, he's filming his uh, brother, um, and uh, it's his birthday, so he's giving him gifts, gives him a bandana, he gives him a journal, and they're gifts from both his mother and his father, and um, we'll get to more parental things going on in this film in a bit. The thing I noticed immediately with this film that I really appreciated that is that there's a lot of music uh, in this film, and yeah. they really treat it in a in interesting way uh in this first scene there's music going on in the background um and every time the camera cuts the music actually cuts with it uh which is is really cool it kind of just you know again makes you believe that you know what you're seeing you know was uh was more was naturally cut uh by by someone else and is kind of just getting to the important bits because I think it's uh, it's interesting and found footage when we think about the editor as you know a character in the world of of the film rather than you know a technical aspect. So when you see things like that, uh, you know that that's definitely worth um, worth mentioning. And this movie actually deals with uh, with music a lot. Uh, do you want to say anything about um, you know what you think about the music in this film in general? One thing I'll say that we can probably I'll reference later when we get a little further in is it's funny that it has that. Um kind of commitment to the bit at the beginning where you know you're cutting mm-hmm. the audio along with the footage so that they both make sense so it makes sense it, it stays kind of 
natural and um, analog and consistent with the fact that you're looking at like camera footage mm-hmm. uh, because it definitely abandons that later. <laughs> Um, interestingly abandons that, uh, not abandons it like, um, you know, it's a, it's a mistake. I, I don't believe. Nope. Totally not. Um, we get to the first earthquake that this movie depicts. Um, and it catches you really off guard. The movie does this a couple times in the beginning here. Um, they are in LA. Um, and, um, it's, it's really, interesting to see um you know earthquakes just being a natural you know kind of like uh an everyday thing not an everyday thing but like you know common enough of an occurrence that you know they wouldn't be totally freaked out by it each time i think what this does uh for the film especially in the beginning here is it gives the film it sets up this kind of apocalyptic mood that really struck me in this first half uh, what, how did you feel about that and the earthquakes in general? Yeah, it's definitely meant to be ominous, right? It's definitely meant to set a tone. I was very curious to know, like, would this be playing into the film in a literal sense? Or is it just yeah. sort of like yeah. a, a mood setting? Um, and I still don't really know. I mean, there is definitely stuff that has to do with a storm later and thunder. Yeah, with so, storms and booming um, sounds, yeah. So it's possible that that is like, connected in the literal sense but yeah for the most part i think it's just like giving you a sense that like approaching doom is coming yeah Um, that's yeah that's the i mean that's really that perfectly sums it up it just like gives you the yeah encroaching doom is is the you know the perfect way to 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 kind of sum sum that up uh sum that up with um so we meet michelle in a studio she's uh singing voc she's uh doing vocals for the song that um they're going to end up shooting a music video for in the desert that's kind of the whole uh setup for uh you know their whole trip uh their friend michelle is a musician and she sings a song called all the pretty little horses which is a song written by robbie at first i thought this was a current 93 song i think they have a similar uh song um, that I, I tried to remember. I was like, isn't this a, and I was watching the film when I uh, first saw it. I'm like, isn't this a Curry 93 song? But uh, apparently not. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just an idiot. Um, interesting thing uh, that happens here. I mean, the, it's a, it's a nice scene and, and she has a very nice voice. Also, the studio is lit in a very cool way. I mean, it doesn't really mean that much. I, I don't think, but uh, it is the most vibrant scene uh, in this film. Uh, mostly because they're using like, you know, common rgb lights and and all that mm. and it, it it's kind of it kind of looks like a, a music video like kind of a lower fi music video already while she's uh uh singing but yeah this is you know our, our introduction to one of the uh supporting cast uh after this she says a really interesting thing um they're randomly talking about uh hallucinogenics and she says something like spine fluid. Uh, you know, when you get knocked on your spine, it can cause like an acid flashback. This is also, Uh-oh. to me, a total red herring. Um, they want you uh, to, I feel like they want you to, to have this in your head to, to just confuse you even more. Yeah, she says like some, so sometimes people uh, like hit their spine 
and they'll have an acid flashback. That's exactly what she says. And Robbie even retorts, it sounds like bullshit. And it kind of is, um, you know, in terms of this film. <laughs> do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, do you have any thoughts at all about like, hey, is like entertaining the thought like, oh, hey, maybe this is a bad uh, trip. <laughs> I remember that line. I, I, now that you say it, I remember that line. Um, so, but yeah, I think that's actually kind of very smart to like, <laughs> because of my totally one of my interpretations of what was happening as what's once shit starts going down is I thought, okay, well, we're dealing with somebody who is currently delusional. <laughs> like, they're, you know, they are... I think that's, a- that's kind of true. There's one thing I'll bring up later that makes it kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, like, why would the camera be depicting yes, what it depicts? Yes, that was what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why yeah. Can you see so there has to be something man. else. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's funny that they uh, they throw that line in because I think they know that people will automatically, you know, they think like, oh, you know, these young adults going into the desert, you know, they're probably tripping balls and that's why, you know, ha- what happens happens. But uh, I think they're, they know that and they uh, address it with this line. And I don't think it's supposed to be a thing <laughs> that uh, comes up again. Yeah, so Michelle actually, I think, is a very interesting character in and of herself. And the funny thing is, like, I think Robbie Banfitch actually does a very good job with the characters in general. You know, usually found footage characters can be pretty hit or miss. You, you know, you don't really get attached to a lot of them. This is, I think these characters are, are you know, pretty well-rounded, um, especially Michelle. Uh, and Michelle has a, a, a um, reoccurring thing about her mom who has recently passed away. And uh, I think Robbie or Zach even makes a statement uh, in this scene, like, oh, you sound just like your mom. And she gets kind of emotional. That happens a few times uh, throughout this film and, uh, and we'll get to them. But there, again, there is uh, this kind of common theme about parents. I, I think, uh, especially mothers um, that honestly, I'll try to talk about more, but I haven't, honestly quite worked out what it all means just yet um but there is a lot of stuff about mothers in this film i i just i wanted to ask you if um you know if you have any thoughts on that in general i don't really i like did you notice that at all is that something that you picked up on i did um it, it kind of like hit me and then kind of flew by because there was so much so much shit going on yeah there's like some uh, like pseudo, there's a lot of Freudian shit uh, that uh, I like. Like, there's some shit I picked yeah. up on. Um, you know, one in particular having to do with someone being nude. Well, there, there's a character nude throughout this entire film. Well, yeah, there is a character who's nude, but there's another character who disappears and then comes back later, and we see her nude. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, and we'll to that too. Uh, I really wondered. It made me think about you know what what was what does this mean for this main character you yeah. know that we're seeing? yeah does this thematically um, fit with some of the underlining themes I think that are they're that trying to be uh, hinted at with this uh, you know with with the with the uh, the motherhood angle that uh that that is i think is clearly set up here because multiple characters have not not mommy issues um but um there there, there's definitely um some grief going on especially with uh michelle 
uh, as a character, and we'll get to more of that uh, more of that very soon. Um, next thing we see is um, Robbie is on a plane. He's actually visiting his mother. His, his mother, and uh, the person actually filming Robbie through this is their friend Angela, um, who we who we meet uh, right after this. Uh, she's in the car with them afterward. And I'll say that uh, there is a scene here later on, too, in this house, in the mother's house, uh, that is really, really uh, just sad, uh, I'll say. But uh, so and and I think it it works because, you know, what they set up in in this relationship kind of works, Um, especially the fact that, uh, you know, this is Robbie Banfitch's uh, real, you know, actual mother. So again, like blurring that illusion uh, works really well. And again, yes, more more motherhood stuff going on. Um, and yeah, we meet Ange too. Uh, Angela is a... Uh, yeah, I also say, I, like just um, about these characters, um, I at one point I like turned to the person I was watching this with and I asked her, are we supposed to bothered by these people like there's they're not doing anything abjectly terrible or anything like that but no they are kind of like like they feel like they belong in la um yeah yeah they're they're they're, they seem like they're la people um which is funny because robbie is not (laughs) an la person like in real life (laughs) yeah they're not they're they're i guess new jerseyans but like and angela it's angela is also in the world of the film from New Jersey. Oh, okay, that's interesting because it really feels like Michelle is like the LA person, so Bohemian and like yeah, that is kind of like spacey and you know, like she says stuff like, "By the way, if you hit your back or your neck, you know, your spine hard enough, then the <laughs> flashback. Did you know that?" And it's kind of like, you know, uh, there's a lot of dialogue like that in the movie where they're just kind of like. You're watching these four hipsters. Yeah, yeah. And I think Ange even uh, even makes fun of her. Even makes fun of Michelle uh, in that little FaceTime call, where she uh, yeah. she says like, uh, "Oh, you know, it's you know, she's you know the Coachella type, but they're all like rich bloggers or something." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I felt like but, the movie was kind of aware of that, but it doesn't like hit you over the head with no, it. No, and it's not malicious either. It's just like poking fun. They take the plane back, um, and there is. I noted uh, that the plane back has some light turbulence. Noted, um, there are more plane sounds in this film that aren't just, you know, that don't just take place on planes, uh, which is which is interesting. But anyway, um, they convince uh, uh, Ange to uh, come to LA to help them out with the music video, uh, not before celebrating. Robbie's mom's birthday. Um, so the uh, that's and then after that is when we see the plane flying over the desert um, for the first time. Then it just kind of cuts to you know the whole crew kind of hanging out. Uh, Zach is smoking a cigar, just looking like a total man, uh, a total Chad. And uh, they actually talk a little bit more about their parents. I think they uh, mention. I think Zach even mentions that he has a dream about uh, their dad, which um, kind of echoes later on. Uh, there's also a scene later on where Michelle says she had a dream about her her mother. I think it's insinuated that their father is deceased because um, it's pretty explicit that uh, 
you know, Michelle's mother has deceased. They don't explain the same as much, uh, for Robbie and Zach's dad. Um, but again, yeah, more talking about more, you know, a lot of the beginning of this film is just talking about, you know, parents and kind of going through, you know, talking about this, uh, this underlining grief, which again, like, um, maybe I'll work it out more and more as we, as we kind of run through the film, but yeah, you know, I, I feel like my mind is kind of scattered on this, uh, on this theme, but uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to put it out there. Um, it makes sense. I think it's one of those, there's a lot about this movie that it's like, I think what's so great about it is you can talk about it, uh, a lot and it's in more not, ways than one. Yeah. And not just say like, yeah. Oh, it's so fucked up, dude. Even though I love those movies and I would, I cherish yeah. them. <laughs> um, we'll say but, like, definitively, Oh, it's about, uh, the class war or like whatever the hell, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I don't think there's a lot of classism going on here. Even, even with that comment about, uh, trust fund Coachella, uh, Coachella. people. <laughs> um, no. but you know, I don't think there's enough there to read this film in that sort of way. Um, but there is definitely a lot about, uh, parentage and, uh, and dead parents and grief that, that is, you know, exists here, uh, to be worth mentioning. The scene is also bathed in like a red light, which is a uh, kind of an interesting flair to it. But yeah, this is also the scene where Zach tells, uh, Robbie kind of offhand like oh hey you're driving us to the desert which is uh which then it it immediately cuts which uh I think is a very good use of a cut in a in this in this film um saying outright the inciting uh action that will bring us to madness and just being like oh hey you're doing this and then cut and then we do that <laughs> you know um so mm. I think that's uh that's really cool um or that's a really good use of a editing uh in this film we get to one of the first scenes also uh there's a few scenes where michelle just kind of dances um and uh it's you know it's uh it's pretty nice but then it is instantly cut by a, a second earthquake hitting for this earthquake robbie is a little bit more he seems a lot more afraid of this one than the last one uh this one is definitely a lot more violent um, than the the first one that happens, uh, and it caught me again. It really caught me off guard, um, and I'm you know I was immersed in the film at this point because of uh, the mood that that set. After the second earthquake, Robbie calls his uh, mother, and there's a, a thunderstorm happening, and um, we will get to a a lot of the thunder uh, motifs going on um because there is a lot of booming and thunder cracking in this film and it's introduced uh here interestingly a lot of the sound design motifs are introduced at the beginning of the film uh you know what in what we know as the objectively you know real world uh, in in the film this is before they even go to the desert i don't know if you've had anything else to say about uh kind of the earthquakes or some of the motifs that are introduced here uh well i'm just noticing now taking another look at it that like i mean i i think we've kind of briefly mentioned this part of the movie but like the scene where robbie is partying with angela they're just having like a little yeah that's the very next scene too that has a visual motif that 
I, I did not realize on my first time watching it, but the flashing strobing lights that are present in that scene. Are like, oh, yeah. Okay, that's like what's about to come. You know? like, yeah, we're about to see a lot of that uh, soon enough. Something familiar being kind of twisted uh, is something that uh, happens a lot in this film. Um, I, you know, I guess, like, yeah, to that point, now that I think about it, we talked about the mom's birthday party. There's a few of those early scenes where when they eventually kind of return to some of these scenes, they already, they look the same. Like, yeah. they already shot, like, the mom's birthday party in this very dark way, lit only with, like, the candles and stuff. Um, when you when you see this mom character again, it's very much like kind of the same lighting. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of already, it's just impressive. They already preset the look of some of the vision stuff ahead of time in reality. If that makes sense. Like, and that's why this film is such a good one to rewatch. And I think I I can't imagine a scenario, you know. Or, you know, maybe you hated this film after watching it the first time. But I can't imagine a scenario where you watch this film for the first time you liked it and didn't immediately want to watch it again. And it's for stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, we get to the part where Angela visits that we uh, that we touched on. Um, and uh, Robbie's trying to set up his his whole sound. Uh, I guess, he you know, he's be, he'll be running camera and sound for this shoot. And we have a, you know, your standard drinking scene. Kind of reminds me of the drinking scene in uh the Blair Witch Project actually. It's kind of like the let's have some fun before we go out into this dangerous uh you know on this dangerous potentially dangerous trip in the morning after of course everyone's hung over. Angela is shoving her head in an entire freezer. I don't know if I've never done that before, by the way. I've never been so hungover I had to shove my head in the freezer. But uh I will definitely take note of that and maybe next time <laughs> I will give that a shot because uh, that does seem pretty refreshing <laughs> have you ever done that before did you know that that was a thing no I've never heard of I've, that before. you've never heard I mean, that either that's some crazy that. LA thing maybe that's everyone in LA does that Coachella baby <laughs> that's what trust fund babies do <laughs> they shove their heads in freezers <laughs> when they're hungover but yeah no so morning after everyone kind of comes together they take a a preliminary hiking trip i i think uh in la uh, and you can see la actually in the distance i think this seems very interesting um because when we cut from the house to this uh to them already you know starting to hike out in the desert and we see the city in the in the distance we are already very far away from the world um we are already very far away from any sense of uh, uh, of normalcy. Um, we're f- already far away from safety uh, at this point, or you know, we're we're, we're more so we're f- far away already from um, from the familiar, and uh, I, I think that was a, a really cool thing to to establish right there, especially cutting right from like the inside of someone's house to oh, we're out in the desert, very far away from civilization. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, like, it, it's just, boom, you're in it. Boom, you're in it. And I think a lot of great found footage films do that, too, um, where it's like, you know, we have this one thing, you know, you think everything's, uh, and, you know, nothing crazy happens here. You know, it is just them hiking. Um, but that that jarring jump to another location is something found footage films get really well. 
Uh, so yeah, the next thing we see, um, they're they're driving out. Uh, they're in the car, uh, heading deeper and deeper into the desert. Um, and notably here, there's some radio distortion going on. The characters even start to make note of it, like, oh, what the fuck was that? But you know, the scene quickly cuts away from that. But it, you know, another thing where it's like introduce something, then we're out of it. Just so you know, you have this in your head, and then we're gonna move on to something else. They stop on the side of the road to you know goof around a bit. This is when we kind of start to hear uh, a lot more of the wind. Uh, you know, the very interesting wind starts to come on. It sounds jarringly crystal clear for this setup they have going on here, and I think that's on purpose. Definitely, there's um, some awesome sound design, uh, awesome wind sound design. Yeah, they start. Uh, they're on the side of the road. They start throwing rocks. They're you know they're goofing around. And then there is uh, this car. They, they get in the car again, and this is when things get a little more explicitly uh, off because Robbie kind of, you know, I think he's trying to get a cool shot. You know, the character Robbie's trying to get a cool shot. But uh, it's actually this awesome shot of them, you know, kind of in the twilight uh, of the evening. Robbie's shooting upside down, and there's some ominous opera music coming on. Opera music does come up again. There's a lot of choral uh, choir sounds that are important to a lot of the motifs uh, in the film. And uh, it also operates as like, you know, very simply as like, oh, this is where they're uh, they're really starting to transition into the. Um, what, do I, what do I call it? This is where I, you know, this is where the film really transitions into we're getting further and further away from the familiar and we're starting to get into a literal uncanny valley. Yes. The valley of the uncanny. We quickly cut to the morning. Um, So after that, uh, they cut to the bright morning um, where Robbie's awake. They all start swimming kind of in this lake and it's the first time where we see this um, this ominous light. To right now, this is just a light in the water, um, but uh, it starts meaning a lot more very quickly. This is where card one ends, and it ends with Robbie saying the line, I don't want to leave. And we hear this weird warbling sound, and then it smash, you know, cuts to black, card two. Again, like... We're gonna. This movie's gonna throw curveballs at us really quickly, um, and we can read that line like "I don't want to leave" as being like, "Oh, he's having such a great time already," but he says it really oddly. Um, he says it really weird. I yeah, I noticed that the first time too. He 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 says it on almost like a trance-like state, almost in a trance. Um, and you know, if they wanted to say like, "Oh, they were," you know, of course they were doing drugs. Um, and I didn't say this at the beginning, but uh, they do explicitly do cocaine. Um, they don't show it, but I think Zach makes an offhanded comment like, hey, you got any coke? And then, but it just cuts away. Like, it's not important to the film. But that's, but that's important because it's like, oh, you could just say like, oh, he was, you know, high or, you know, he was he was doing drugs. But when you get to, you know, what happens later, this can, you know, bring a whole new context to this uh, final line for card one. So we hit card two. Um, we're at roadside again, but we're way deeper into the desert. Uh, the roads start to kind of become, uh, you know, less uh, less well kept. Uh, they start to become more like dirt roads, 
they soon pretty much abandon their car completely. But this is the first scene, Zach, where we get the donkeys. Yeah. The don- one of the most important motifs in this film. Yeah. And this scene, it just seems kind of meaningless, but they do seem to be just, just staring them down. Like, what's up? Like, there's something what's about up? them are maybe sensing. And then we hear a jet passing overhead. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we hear a jet passing overhead, which, you know, again, like, you know, why, why note that? But, um, you know, plane sounds come in you know, to this film very distinctly. And, you know, being the first scene where the donkeys show up, I think uh, holds some importance there. But um, again, like this is another motif similar to the parent theme where I can't really work out in my head what they're supposed to be. Because in this film, there are five donkeys that keep showing up over and over again, a couple times. Um, Not that much, like, you know, a few times. Um, But, they there is always five of them um and they show up in very distinct scenes and from what i gather here these donkeys are trying to keep them away from something i think that part is maybe not obvious but that's what that tells me on a surface level uh, is is there anything that kind of pops into your head when you think about these uh these donkeys there's something later that i made a connection to with the donkeys that I can bring up when we get there. Mm. But I don't have anything concrete really. It's yeah. I mean, I think it's a good theory. Like it, it kind of feels like in general they sense something about these about people, people that they might know like, they, these donkeys might know a little bit more than we're than they're letting on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, they they continue into the desert. Um an interesting scene here is um Zach uh, starts pointing at something and it's kind of barely caught even by the camera. Uh, but Robbie's like, Hey, what's, what's that? And Zach just starts pointing at something and we never see what he's pointing at. Um, but all the winds start getting a little bit more violent here. But uh, anyway, they um, continue on and they're, uh, they're actually setting up their, their campsite right now. These tents that uh, we'll keep coming back to uh, a lot in the film. Michelle starts, singing with uh, the clanging these rocks together. The the most interesting thing that strikes me here uh, is uh, Michelle has a kind of a throwaway line, but I think uh, is kind of important that, uh, you know, she's kind of off in the distance and, uh, but we can clearly hear her saying, Hey, it looks like lightning struck here. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of just cuts away. But um, you know, from what we know from the, you know, from uh, the context of the, of uh, finishing the film that, uh, you know that also implies something. I, 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 you know, I believe. Yeah, there's definitely something that the storm that that occurs a little later and flashes of light definitely connect to whatever is going on at the core of the movie. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, we get to probably my favorite location in the film, which is this massive lake bed, this dried up, dead lake. Um, where there is a uh, a very clear wind tunnel. Uh, the winds now are getting to their most violent. Uh, I think they actually get more more aggressive uh, in another scene in a bit here. Well, this is already one of the loudest scenes uh, in the movie so far. Uh, and I just want to say, um, you need to have a good sound. Not, not you need to have a good sound system, but it is so... <laughs> 
it is so integral to be listening to this film consistently um and you know with a good set of headphones or in an awesome theater um i will say that uh i like the alamo draft house's um uh sound system a lot with this film uh my friends uh that i that i saw the film with were kind of confused um they thought that the something was wrong with the sound um because so much of the film had such aggressive screeches and blown out winds uh that something was wrong with the speakers and that it was very loud so they thought really throughout the film that uh the film was too loud uh and it kind of uh not upset them but um uh it made them feel off and i and i i think i i think i just responded like like well you know i think that's just the mix um and i think that's just how this film is supposed to sound um and i did watch it again just on my on my tv uh with a soundbar and you know the film did get very loud and uh i hope that everyone in my apartment building heard it um but uh yeah i mean what did you think in general about like just like the level of sound going on does was it you know did, did it bother you in any way uh it didn't bother me i'm used to like pretty abrasive stuff and like i i mostly am only bothered by the concept that my neighbors might be pissed off at me or something <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. something at home um, it did bother the person I was with who has like, mis- uh, you know, sort of like a misophonia thing going yeah, on. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So that's interesting. Handle certain like qualities of sound and certain, uh, the way that certain sounds are structured, if they're like really abrasive or if it's like, you know, certain type of sound, clicking, squelching sounds, stuff like that, then mm-hmm. to get, um, it, it like li- literally like upsets kind of offsets her. Um, but I, yeah, I, I didn't have that issue. I mean, it was loud as hell. I definitely, while watching it at home, uh, adjusted the volume like multiple times. And you know, it's not a new thing where it's like, oh yeah, movies are, are loud. But, um, you know, I think it's a definitely a more unique thing for a found footage film, um, to just be so goddamn loud. Um, and 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 this film has such a... I'm sorry. That are like you're hearing sounds that are also upsetting and they're loud. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Loud. It's not like explosions that are super loud going off, like in an action movie. It's like yeah, it's people screaming for their lives. Like animal noises and, and stuff. Animal sounds, yeah. You know, it's definitely worth uh, having some good sound to listen to it. Although it will be very aggressive at times, and it kind of starts with this uh, this lake bed here, um, where uh, there's a massive wind tunnel going on. And it left me uh, with a uh, certain impression that I'll get on, uh, that I'll uh, expand on uh, later on uh, when we get to another scene. But we uh, we cut to Zach writing in uh, writing in this journal, just kind of taking the sights and uh, writing something interesting. And uh, we actually get to uh, see what he wrote uh, in a bit here. Uh, we then see Michelle. Uh, walking with the guitar in the desert, which is actually the um, shot that is used on the poster, uh, which is uh, which is very nice. Um, they're pretty much just shooting the music video, and uh, some important things are uh, are, are established here. Um, I think Robbie has a comment uh, that's uh, where he says uh, he tells Michelle that uh, she looks like her mom, 
which um, that kind of gets to her, um, makes her uh, well up a bit. And uh, there's an interesting shot where uh, Robbie puts the camera up to uh, up to her eyes, and she's wearing these uh, reflective sunglasses, the, these uh, bohemian style sunglasses. And um, he even says like, "Oh, it looks like your eye. It looks like your eyes in the sky." And I think that uh, that's definitely a, a very impressive set of imagery that uh, that holds uh, certain connotations for what happens later on and what we can um, kind of gather, um, you know, more meaning from the more we, uh, you know, more context we have later on in the film. We get into some more sentimental stuff uh, with uh, Michelle and her mom. And, uh, you know, she says stuff like, oh, you know, I really miss her. And, you know. It's one of these scenarios where um, I don't think this is a, a situation where it's like, um, you know, oh, the the subject we happen to be shooting, it just happens to be like the most interesting person. They never get that never uh, gets me here. Um, I don't think I have that feeling at all with these characters. I, I genuinely think these characters are are written in a very realistic way. There, 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 there is going to be films that we talk about. I think where that, that, that's a thing that's going to bother me. And I think um, when we talked about, uh, even in our past episode, when we talked about um, McPherson tape or an incident at uh, you know alien abduction, um, that's a thing that kind of uh, stuck out to me a bit more. Where it's like, oh yeah, it just so happens we are happening upon the most interesting family, huh? Um, but. Um, that doesn't. Uh, I don't have that impression here. Even though um, Michelle seems to, ha- you know, seems seems to have the most character development. Uh, you know, is there any thoughts on that with you? Is, you know, does that? Did you have any kind of impression with that? No, I mean, I, I I think the movie just kind of tries to keep a naturalistic kind of feel, so it's not giving them like they have some things like the stuff with the mothers, but they're for the most part trying to downplay it, so it feels kind of mm-hmm. I think like you're yeah. looking at people um totally yeah right after this is the very integral scene where robbie just kind of finds this random hatchet buried in the ground and uh takes a little shot of it and he's just like oh cool <laughs> and uh then we just uh you know cut away but uh there's another one of those shots where it's like you know two second shot of something very, very important that is glossed over um, to just, you know, kind of give you this impression. Then oh, we pull back. But uh, yeah, random, random acts in the deep desert uh, doesn't sit well with uh, doesn't sit well with you. This is now a scene where we're closer uh, into the dark, um, not quite, you know, the pitch black darkness uh, just yet. We're, we're more so in the uh, in the evening where there's a little bit of light outside Um and uh, there's a scene here that happens twice, uh, actually, where um, Robbie's kind of get just getting some uh, random field recordings. And uh, we hear some coyote, notably some coyotes howling in the distance, some yipping. Um, but most notably, we hear our first loud boom. And this is a very specific boom. It's not like the, you know, it doesn't sound like thunder or anything like that. I would describe this sound as uh just just straight up a bomb going off and uh it's a it's a sound that happens in the film quite often uh and we first get that sound right here um and they get louder and louder and louder as the uh as the film goes on 
Yeah, so then we cut back to uh, the camp, and it is pure pure darkness now. And they're getting ready for their, their first night you know, in the cool desert. We get Zach reading from this journal. Uh, we see uh, what he's been uh, what he's been writing. I kind of want to read this aloud because um, I thought it was very interesting. He says, um, "Clouds and haze blasted to bits and ferociously shot out to sea, revealing tiny sunlight that zings and magnetizes like fine, bright powder, weightlessly burrowing into the matter of all. The wind spirit leaves calm." This is uh, definitely leaves, uh, you know, with the context we have the f- from the film. Uh, I think this little poem he writes uh, definitely, uh, you know, very reminiscent of things that happen later on, uh, especially the magnetism part. And we'll actually get more to that in just a bit. I mean, it never really came together for me. I, it's one of those <laughs> things where I feel like it just... But not in a bad way. Like, you know, that no, can, can be like a way. criticism, like, oh, you know, it just doesn't really come together in any meaningful way i i don't think that it's just like the things that this film throws at you and the risks that it takes it's so it's it's definitely got a lot on its mind and it's exploring a lot um but it's never exploring one thing at the same time you know what i mean i don't think that it uh it comes to its own conclusion at the end but i think that's by design yeah, it, I mean, it's an experimental film. It's very, like, abstract in mm-hmm. the way that it tackles, like, its themes. So it hits upon many things at once, yeah. Yeah. So we go deeper into the night. Uh, the booming sounds, uh, the thunderous booms start to grow louder and louder, and they wake up Zach and Robbie. The kind of the thing I got from at this point, uh, from the first time I was watching, was uh, this sounds like a war. It really sounds like there, there's like a war off in the distance, and um, it just sounds like constant booming, like people being sh- like shelled. You know, those are the kind of the, the descriptions I got from these uh, from these sound effects here. That kind of leads into one of the leading theories about what's going on in this film, which we'll get to. But um, I feel like we might have missed the part. Did we mention? Or maybe it was already said the in the lake bed where he sees he sees something yeah i did miss that fuck i did i completely missed that um you know when we're in this lake bed you know as he's playing with this uh skull in the sand he plays with like a little animal skull and um he's just kind of hanging out by himself and he kind of sees something in the distance but uh and zooms in on it um i don't think that it's implied that he actually that Robbie actually notices it. Um, but there is oh, definitely yeah. a figure there. Yeah, we see it, but I think he's like singing or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, these these sounds keep happening. They wake up Zach and Robbie. Um, it sounds like complete and total like chaos just going on outside. Um, and they decide like, hey, let's check out what's going on. Um, so they come out of the tent. Um and Michelle and Andrew are also uh, awake, and they're just kind of like wandering around, like, "Wait, what the hell's going on?" Um, they're all just kind of, honestly, just trying to cope, <laughs> and they're just trying to, uh, you know, figure it out for themselves. And they're like, "Oh, it might be thunder, it might be a distant earthquake, or whatever," you know, just things to convince themselves to go back to bed. Um, there's also some light rustling in the bushes, but uh, never really called attention 
that's really never called attention to, but uh, that sound is definitely there. There's a specific line said where um, if you, he describes the air as being feel like it's rippling around them. So now we're kind of getting a sense of, you know, where they really are. Not, you know, explicitly, but the, these next few scenes that happen here kind of lean into a, a very specific idea. And I'll, I'll tell you what exactly I was think I thought was going on in, in just a second here. But after you hear some coyotes, uh, you know, yipping and crying again, it actually sounds like they're getting a little closer to, uh, to the group here. And uh, things start echoing out a little bit, uh, a little bit grander. This is also the first time someone mentions that they see something like a star. And we see what they're talking about soon. But, uh, you know, what they say is like, oh, it sounds like something's echoing off the canyon. We also get a funny little jump scare of an insect that jumps at them. Um, I think it's like a cockroach, not like a cockroach, but I think like a little grasshopper or something jumps at them. They go, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then that funny jump scare is then quickly, quickly followed up by this massive thunder crack, which is definitely the loudest thing we've heard in the movie so far. It is ginormous. Like it takes up the entire like image of the of the of the film the uh the entire soundtrack of the film and uh it definitely shakes them and it, it's definitely supposed to shake you as well there's also a, a funny scene where maybe not a funny scene but there's also a scene here where uh robbie's filming a, a bunch of ants on an anthill um and yeah one of, them, one of them bites him he's like uh and he gets freaked out by that uh more of a reaction than when the, this massive thunder crack happens this is also the first time we see Robbie alone in the darkness. Um, and he's just in like the cold night. And we get one of the first scenes where he's playing with this flashlight. And we actually, this is where it is established, you know, some of the the reoccurring imagery of walking through darkness with nothing but a tiny flashlight. And you're only getting tiny sense of the space while your mind fills in the blanks. That's This is really the first scene where we get that. During this scene, there's also a kind of a like a light drone that starts to come up ever so swiftly and uh we see a light appear and this is the first time that this specific light appears it looks like a straight white line just in the middle of the desert there's just this white straight line cut to morning uh, after it gives a really harsh screech and robbie makes note of the air feeling a little bit more shimmery um, he's talking to Ange at this point, um, and there are uh, a ton of bees outside the tent, so they're kind of afraid to go outside. This is also the scene where um, they made up with Michelle, and Michelle says that uh, she's been dreaming about her, about her mother, which of course is an echo of uh, Zach dreaming, dreaming about his uh, having a dream about his father. So um, you know we have that motif coming up again. Robbie and Ange have a funny argument here about um, Ange being a diva because she's freaking out about um, what happened last night. And it's one of these scenes that we see a lot in horror movies of characters just downplaying things that are definitely, definitely wrong. I think it's more realistic here, and they're kind of just like, you know, trying to poke fun, I think. Um, But this is a funny scene here where uh, Robbie and Ange are just like arguing. This is followed up then by the donkeys appearing again. 
um, we see the five of them again. They're just kind of standing there in the still, uh, you know, in the still wind of the desert. Okay, yeah. Then we cut to uh, this scene where Scott is tanning, looking like a tall glass of milk, or that's not how you say that. Tall drink, of, tall drink of water. I don't know why I said glass of milk. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's trying to basically get, uh, you know, trying to get the group to to just calm down, but uh, he kind of looks up strangely in this scene we're never really this is the second time that scott is looking up at something and you can tell he's looking at something but you just never really you know they never really call much attention to it um this is a scene where i kind of start to notice um scott seems to be the more like i I don't i don't know if this is if they really go into this but scott is definitely the more like masculine figure in this movie he is he is like is he like ex- exuberates masculinity and uh, not in in like a not in a stereotypical way, um, but just in a very subtle way, you know, subtle enough for you to notice. Um, like there's the scene where he's smoking a big cigar uh, in the at the beginning of the movie, uh, and now you see him in, in all his glory. He's like tanning on a rock, and uh, you know he's he, he and he's also the guy that Robbie is in charge of, like. Saying like, oh hey, you know, maybe you can calm everyone down. He wants Scott to basically like take control of the situation. He's also the one that goes outside first at night. Like he he's, and I'm not saying like these are masculine quality. Like taking charge is like a masculine quality or anything like that. But um, I think there's something no, I, there. You know what I, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, I caught that too. Um... I, I think it's like, um, well, okay, this is a little bit of out, out, outsider information and probably, I don't know if you could attach this to the character, but I did, when I was looking at some behind the scenes stuff about this film, I did realize that like this movie is, d- the director of this movie, who's also its star, Robbie, is, mm-hmm. uh, is gay. He's a, he's, um, yeah. He is a gay director, a gay creator. I don't know. I don't know if that means like the character Robbie is also a gay man, and maybe that is the energy that's being put out. But uh-huh. uh, he definitely is like. There's something about his more kind of like artsy, fartsy, tinkering with his audio and his toys and stuff that that feels like a little bit more like effeminate and flam- uh, and like I guess like less traditionally masculine. Than, yeah, I would. Um, I would totally agree. I think uh, I think there's definitely some. They're like so, L.A. boys, or like they're they're <laughs> kind of like, um, they're kind of like L.A. Brooklyn boys, kind of. They they have a very like um, L.A. but in Brooklyn. Focused. Yeah, I mean, well, so it's Bushwick. Just a like focused, yeah, Bushwick, Bushwick boys. You're talking about Bushwick. <laughs> I can see these guys yeah. rolling up in Bushwick. Absolutely. <laughs> um, um, like yeah. Yeah, no, I totally, I, I do agree with that. Um, I think there, there might be some, you can, I, I think you can grab some subtext out of that, but it's nothing that I've, you know, there, there's so many things in this movie that are kind of hard to look deeper into because it just, it, it's, it's ambiguous on purpose, of course, but um, I, there's so many pieces to it, you know, there's so many pieces um, and we'll get to, yeah. we'll get to all of them in a bit. So right after this, we cut to Robbie and he's, um, telling Scott about the uh, ball of light. He keeps seeing the strobing one. And uh, he says this really interesting line. He says um, it folded in on itself and made a rip. 
and then we get um, the one of my favorite scenes in this movie where Robbie uh, sticks his mic in the hole in the earth. Um, it's they kind of have this shotgun mic that Robbie keeps using for uh, like field recordings and things. Um, and he shoves this mic right into this hole in the earth. And we pick up some really interesting sounds at first. It kind of sounds like uh, just regular old metallic screeching and feedback, but then it becomes a little bit more clear. Um, and we start hearing more, uh, you know, more terrible qualities to that, to that metallic sound. Um, and I thought, you know, you, you can read it as a, and when you listen to it, you can interpret it as being a whole lot of things. Like at first when I, when I saw the movie, I thought like, you know, that metallic feedback really sounded like people yelling. But uh, then what happens is this kind of like chorus, uh, this choir starts to be brought up in the in the mix. Um, and it's it starts out as a little it, it kind of underlines the the soundscape, but then it's brought up more into the focus, uh, which, you know, when you when you first see it is very, very confusing. Um, like, why are we just hearing singing? Right. Like heavenly singing right now. But it starts to make some bit of sense in a little bit. Yeah. I, I think this is a really, I think this is a really great scene here, especially for uh, just sound design sake, like, you know, giving, you know, shooting things to give excuse to experiment with the sound design, I think is really awesome. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on this scene? Uh, no, I think that's, that's a good read on it. Like yeah. it, it I, I didn't realize how important <laughs> I think I, and my, my, in my interpretation, this scene is really important later. Cause I think, my theory is it has something to do with why Robbie ends up going down the path that he goes down. That he goes down. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm real. I'm excited to hear about that because that's something that um, I'm not confused about, but I, I just, I have so many thoughts on as well. Um, and this is also the scene where I will say, please, if you can watch this once fully, like just sit down and watch it, watch the outwaters and just, take it all in as like a sensory experience. And then, then the next time you watch it, put, put on closed captions because they're very descriptive and they're descriptive on purpose. Uh, I think I, I saw a tweet the other day um, that uh, from Robbie Banifetch actually that uh, where he said that, yeah, we put, we put a lot of work into the, uh, into the actual like closed captions and they're very descriptive for various reasons. Uh, we'll see, you know, down the line, and we also get the scene right after this of uh, Michelle. Uh, she puts her head on the ground and listens to the earth, um, kind of like a seashell, and it vibrates and has all this uh, has all these rumbling effects, um, which is really cool. It's actually it's also in the trailer as well. Um, one of the promotional images of this movie is uh, is just Michelle's head, you know, next to like a rock, and she's listening to stuff. And um, they also, and th- this is the most like tree hugger thing i would say now this is the most hippie thing that these people do in this movie is um michelle and robbie both feel this rock and they're just like kind of caressing it i i like this scene but it's uh it was funny on rewatch um because they're like oh wow you can feel like the currents and it feels really good it, it's just it's just awesome um uh <laughs> Cause it, it gets this, it gets this, uh, this point I want to make, um, that I'll make later on about what, what I think is the broader message of the film about, um, mostly about nature and, and, you know, people are normally seen in horror movies when, when horror movies 
take on like a environmental message. The characters are always ones that are kind of in disturbance or yeah. are the ones that are disturbing nature. But these characters, I, I don't read that way. I don't think they're disturbing nature at all. They seem to love nature, actually. Um, and they want to they want to capture nature in all of its in all of its beauty uh, by going out into the desert. I don't know if you've had anything else to, to say about that. No, I uh, I can see where you're going with this because there's actually another movie that came out last year that has a very similar. I think the point you're making is very similar. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Point uh, a horror oh. movie, but to say what that movie is would also spoil that movie, so I won't. Um, gotcha. But yeah, but I think yeah, I, I would like to hear more about that as we go forward. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get more into it. Right after this is the bullet casing scene, which I completely forgot about my first time watching it because this is kind of like yeah, a nothing it's kind of like a it's one of like the shortest inserts i think in this movie is just them finding this bullet case and then go oh look at that and then we immediately cut to uh the filming of uh of a rattlesnake which uh we'll see a lot and hear especially a lot more of uh throughout this film there's a line after this where uh uh, or they say uh, things sound louder. I think Michelle says, uh, you know, th- she points out that things sound louder when there's no other sounds and uh, the earth vibrates. So they're kind of starting to really like And this is rare in horror movies where they're you, 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 you can see their process of trying to normalize what's going on, because, of course, what's already going on isn't normal. But, you know, to these guys out in the desert that are, you know, just trying to enjoy you know their their time you can see them start to cope with it um Mm. even though things are going wrong and i feel like in a lot of horror movies uh the characters kind of just shove off things that are that are obviously going wrong but they they can tell like oh there's weird stuff going on here but you know what let's just let let's just let's just vibe you know let's just vibe let's let's see what happens yeah, let's see what happens. Which you know what, I I kind of like. I kind of like it because I think Robbie Banfitch has done a good job so far of uh, actually making these characters likable um, and these characters uh, maybe not relatable, but you know, just kind of you know fun to be around. And it makes us very curious about. Um, I, I think they're a good way to lead us into a lot of the curiosities that are that are that are going on in uh, in this film so far. Robbie makes a comment uh, after that where he points out that the camera battery actually hasn't gone down, and he's been he's been filming for like two straight days already, and there's just been no he's not had to charge his camera or anything like that. I mean, where would he charge his camera? But. But uh, I think that's a really interesting thing because in a lot of found footage movies, yeah. I think that's always a uh, a point that gets brought up that's kind of distracting. And it's just like an excuse uh, to let the camera keep going or to like not film things in, in found footage movies. And sometimes it's never really brought up at all. Um, and I think this is a really uh, this is a really interesting way to tackle that trope. And uh yeah, we got a scene where Michelle talks about uh, her mother again, and she has she now points out that she had a dream about her mother. Um, I think before we talked about uh, Scott having a dream about their having a dream about their father, and now Michelle is having dreams about her mother again. This is a th- this is a theme that I just I can't really 
uh, locked down, but maybe, maybe when we wrap things up, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll try to work it out. Um, yes. Now we get to what I think, honestly, I, I, I said before that the, that Robbie putting the microphone in the, in the hole in the ground was one of my favorite scenes in, in this film. What's next is actually one of my favorite scenes in the film overall. Um, it's this scene where Robbie and Michelle are on this kind of like a dry lake and dry dead lake. Um, and it's a giant wind tunnel and you can barely hear anything. You can't make out any dialogue. Um, it's just Robbie and Michelle. And all you hear is these violent, violent winds. Um, and while, I, while I'm sitting in the theater, I could have sworn I heard like screaming like layered in with these winds. I I thought it was like hearing screaming and that's where it kind of hit me where my first guess as to what was going on in this film was, Oh, they're above hell, which was my, was my first guess uh, as to what was going on. And it was this scene that kind of led me onto it because I was hearing these winds and I was like, Oh my God, I think that's supposed to be people screaming and it's also a little, I think there's a, if you've ever read Dante's Inferno, um, there's oh, yeah. a layer of hell where it's like all wind, I think. Um, oh. <laughs> so that's where I kind of was picking that up from. So I was like, oh, are they doing this? I don't know. Did, does that, did that make you go crazy at all? Because it made, it drove me insane. No, yeah, no, the screaming, except I, I did hear screaming. I heard screaming too. I yeah. heard like layered into the winds and like. The, what what hap- that would fall in line with I feel like what happens in this movie because like what happens doesn't fully make sense unless you accept that they're not really in the, the plane of like are in reality plane. yeah yeah they have walked into something else so it being hell makes sense whatever that is or you know or something more cosmic. Yeah, or something a little bit more cosmic, or like yeah. some sort of anomaly, basically. But exactly, um, do we feel like the screaming is other people, or is it them? At first, when I was sitting, I was like, "Oh, that's like the souls of hell," and I kind of kept that with me throughout probably my entire first viewing of the film. Now that now that you've said that, it that it kind of just like put a light bulb in me. I don't know. Like it, I like the, the right, the brain started working. I, I, I guess I, I can say. And, uh, I think that's exactly what, what it is because their screams, all of their screams, the four of them happen so much in this movie. It's such a reoccurring sonic motif that, um, yeah. it, that, that just kind of clicks, you know, that just clicks with me. They end up in places that don't make sense basically like like geographically speaking like there's no like people are in one spot and then they just kind of end up somewhere else and it doesn't really have any connective tissue i will say during my second viewing i think there is more connective tissue than i than i first thought because at first i thought like oh and we'll get to all of the craziness that happens in like the last 30 minutes of this film i think it's last 30 minutes maybe more Right after this is thing where we get to card three, and card three is uh, is where things go sicko mode. Um, <laughs> That's what so fucking wild. That's where things go all Joker on everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, getting back to 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 this scene, this specific scene. There, this is also 
uh, the first time their voices start modulating a bit. Um, and this only happens like maybe one or two other times in the film. Uh, but it's, you know, it, uh, it's something that still happens and it's kind of just like, a I don't, I don't, I, I can't tell what effect that is, but it's definitely not a natural or it's definitely not a natural, like microphone faultiness or, or anything like that. This is also probably one of the most beautiful sequences in the film. And this is really what nailed uh, nailed this down for me, nailed down the outwaters for me as like being probably one of the most beautifully beautifully shot uh, found footage films. Because um, man, they get everything out of this out of this little section here, especially when the sun starts to go down. Oh my god, it's really yeah. just serene. It's really beautiful. It's also accentuated by all the sound. Like the, the, at this point in the film. The sound is mitted out and you just start to hear this like underwater bubbling. You can't really tell if like, okay, did they add that? Is this something they've added in in post or did he not have the microphone running or did he have the microphone running and this is just what he picked up? We don't really know. All I can tell is that, wow, watching these, this collection of shots where Michelle is dancing i guess she's dancing it's kind of like interpretive dance i'd i'd say um that in the foreground in the background you just see this like beautiful horizon of the sun setting in the uh, in the mojave desert it's really striking really striking stuff in this scene and then just this rhythmic metal starts to ever so slight metal comes in at very strange times they always try to layer that in she poses, uh, she lays down. There's, you know, this ominous landscape keeps going. And then there is helicopter sounds, which is really weird. Um, helicopter sounds and these sonar echoes. And it starts to, I don't want to say it makes sense once you see what happens, but I don't know. It's right now I, I'm starting to actually connect the tissue a little bit more. Um, but we'll get to it. Uh, but yeah, everyone kind of joins in at the twilight and Scott, they all join Robbie and Michelle and uh, cuts to black, cuts to black and we get card three. And let me tell you, card three. That's the card you want. <laughs> that's the card. That's the card you want. That's if you, the, that's yeah, the, card. the one for the sickos. So we get another night scene and it is the last night scene. Uh, at least in this part of time. And, uh, you know, we get some more field recordings from Robbie. There's more thunder going off. Now the thunder is just a normal thing. They kind of just hear it. <laughs> they hear they're it like, and they're oh. like, oh, yeah, that's just that's just part of it now. That's just part of uh, that's just part of this. This is our lives now. Yeah, this is this is our lives. Sometimes there's fucking bombs going off. Um we get Michelle singing in her tent. Uh, I think she's singing all the pretty little horses, which uh, again, thought it was a current 93 song, but it's not, it's a song they made. Uh, what happens is kind of a repeat of not a repeat. Uh, you know, it just, you know, they wake up again, Robbie and Scott wake up to more booming and uh, they both go outside and they go into the night, hear a little bit of rustling in the bushes, but it doesn't bother them. They don't care. And for some reason, Robbie, starts to kind of wander off on his own god god yeah that's never good huh but look on <laughs> more ground actually no i i forgive something like this more because there it's established that they they just like nature and they just like walking around yeah. whether it's 
literally terrifying me or not. <laughs> uh, that's just how these uh, these characters seem to cope. <laughs> but what ends up happening is Robbie goes off into the night, and we see a silhouette of a man illuminated by a blue light in the distance, oh, standing boy. there on a hill with an axe. With the axe that we saw earlier in the film, as we can probably uh, imagine. I froze completely when I saw this. It terrified me. But it also oh, yeah. worried it also worried me a bit. because um, I was like, oh, this can't be just a movie about they're not alone in the desert and there's someone hunting them. I refused to accept that that was you know, this shot was terrifying, but I refused to accept that that was all that this movie was going to do. Um, and I was yeah. proven wrong almost immediately. Um, yeah. so, so fuck me. So fuck me. Um, <laughs> so Robbie kind of calls out to him, goes, Hey, what, what you, what are you doing? <laughs> he, what, are you uh, doing? what are you doing? <laughs> He's just like, Hey, uh, all right. And then he turns around and you just hear footsteps clear as day running up next to him while he's turned around and uh you just hear these squelches and it's a really it's probably one of the richest meatiest sounds in this film um and i will say it's definitely the sound that feels the most recorded um the first the the most like added in post but um we really gotta we gotta hammer this one in let's gross them out they're going for like a gross out Oh yeah, absolutely. They're going for a gross out thing. So you hear uh some high pitched squeals and um the light starts to appear again. And uh Robbie's fine. <laughs> Robbie uh just keeps walking around in the dark. And he's right. uh he's fine. Um he goes up to Michelle and Angie's tent and he uh and they're like, Hey, what's what's up? And he's just like, My head is raining which um <gasps> kinda funny. Kind of funny, but terrifying. He goes into uh, back into the tent. Everything's fine. He's dripping blood onto Scott, who's sleeping. And uh, he kind of touches him a bit. And then he just says, the sky opened up. And then hard cut. Just everything is going awry. You don't know what happens, but just screaming and cutting and ripping this is all you hear and the only thing that you see on screen is this single light that is illuminating the entire darkness of the desert you see a dot throughout all of the night scenes here that is just bright enough to illuminate people's faces but almost nothing else but you don't really need that when you have all of these insanely descriptive sounds um that are so upsetting um so horrible it's so horrible notably here you see you do see michelle running away and you hear a line from robbie uh, where he says tuck me in and then we'll fall asleep no i have no i have no idea what he's talking about i i don't know what he's talking about there i think he's Robbie will say some things. I mean, listen, he has a fucking hatchet embedded in his skull. Definitely not in a good state of mind. (laughs) But um, uh, this is this is tough to watch, Um, especially because I either Ange or Michelle and it would be even 
worse if it was Michelle because someone, uh, a, a female voice is screaming, I want my mommy, I want my mommy over and over uh, and over again. It's really, really grim. And it's grimmer if it, if I, I thought it was Ange, Ange saying that the first time I was watching. Uh, but if it was Michelle, goddamn, that's so fucking bleak. Um, that's rough. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think about this scene overall? Uh, just this this this, 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 this chaos happening, basically. This is where I was like, it was like the movie was assuring me that it was going to go play. Like this, this to me, this is the turning point where the movie goes from like, not to, not to like downplay what comes before. Cause all that's important to setting things up. Mm-hmm. But like, I love what comes before just to be, to it, be fair. It follows kind of a formula that you see in found footage and you get the sense early on that like something a little different than what you're used to is happening. Um, just because of the setting and, and some of the stuff with the characters. But like, this was the moment where I was like the movie, I felt like the movie was assuring me that it was going to show me something different. Yeah. Here is where um, they're really telling you like, Hey, we're going to take a big fucking swing. Yeah. This is not a ghost movie. No. <laughs> Like it's going to, this yeah. This is it, you just hear like hell. And it's kind of frustrating too, because like in in a good way. But this is like when the movie like starts to conceal a lot of things from you, and like it's it makes it very tough to see. But it gives you, it always gives you like just enough to kind of like direct your focus to some yeah. interesting shape or image or something. Yeah, he he knows exactly where to point the camera uh, to give you just yeah. enough. And and more importantly too, where to knows where to point the light, yeah, the single yeah. light that's illuminating the entire frame from being yeah. complete blackness. Yeah. So at this point, I had no idea what was going on. I just assumed I I thought maybe they were getting just like butchered by the man with the axe. Yeah. Now that I've watched it kind of two times ish, I I'm not actually sure that that's what's happening. I think something worse might be. Oh man. Um, um. Well, they are definitely getting fucked up. Um. And that the the man with the axe is you know still there, you know he someone buried that someone made a squelching sound in uh, in Robbie's head yeah. that made yeah. his head rain, but yeah I uh, this is one of those scenes where it's like this is the pretty much the inciting thing that makes up the last half of the film where you really can't follow things linearly anymore Mm. and you you'll find out why in just a sec here but yeah they this is at the this is the point in the movie where you're like okay the red's starting to come out we're in good hands (laughs) you love to see the red come out (laughs) you love to see the red come out um so yeah robbie just starts kind of wandering off into the desert uh while the screaming is happening uh he's um kind of crying a bit uh but the cries are modulated and he finds Ange actually Ange like runs up to him and he's like oh my god i've like i kind of like in a a comforting way um not comforting like but she's like su- i mean you can't be comfortable here but she's like surprised to see robbie here um and robbie just doesn't really know how to react um his brain is mush right now leaking. his brain is leaking um but Ange is all bloodied up and she's like, what's happening? What's happening? And her voice is completely modulated. And 
Robbie doesn't know what to do. He starts to run away and uh, we just cut to the morning and I, this is, which I thought was crazy. We cut to the morning. I thought the rest of this film surely had to be taking place during this night scene. It doesn't. It takes place. I mean, I will say there's a lot more night scenes uh, in this last half than there are day scenes, but there, they still, you know, cut some, you know, there's still daytime where you, where you can see stuff. But uh, basically, but basically Robbie has hidden Irvine for, for the majority of the night. And I think what we're seeing here, I think we can, I think it's safe to say here, we're still on a linear timeline, at least in the objective view of the camera. We're still in the linear. I mean, basically we're in a linear timeline throughout the film, you know, throughout what we're seeing, uh, because the camera is capturing everything chronologically we have to keep that in mind all the while the rest of this movie is happening we have to keep that in mind yeah robbie uh crawls out of this ravine that he's hidden um he scratches his head wound and starts talking to himself he's like he's looking at his he's filming his shadow and he's like waving he's like hi it's 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 so weird um but uh and, and and it's it's also a, a nice break i'd say into in the chaos um because we just went through absolute hell um so this is this is a nice break but it goes away quickly because we start to hear uh these screaming snakes uh oh my god and they start to attack robbie i for sure thought that these were snakes when i when i first watched this movie i think now that they're straight up just other creatures that aren't I snakes. Do. Yeah, I I thought they were snakes too. When I first watched it, I was like, "Oh, those are like mutilated snakes or something." And for some reason, they're screaming. Yeah. But now, yeah, there's also there's a scene later in the movie where you kind of get the return of the. It seems like those that same creature appears sort of later because you hear the same sound later, uh-huh. like that screaming, and I think it makes it pretty clear that they're not. Of this oh, world, of this world, yeah, they're like yeah. they're just a different creature. They're just screaming worm creatures. They're screaming All worms, giant screaming worms that are attacking Robbie. Um, so he runs away uh, from the screaming snakes, as you do, as you would if you saw screaming, high pitched screaming uh, worms. Uh, you know, chase after you. Um, they don't even like. They don't slither at all. They literally jump at the screen every time. Um, yeah, it's oh, it's so fun. It, it it starts to become infuriating at one point, and then it. it but I, I I grew to love the screaming snakes, Zach. <laughs> I grew to love the screaming snakes. <laughs> I love the screaming snakes. They're so <laughs> weird. It's such a, it's such a weird choice that like, because this is like the first time the movie like weird shit is happening, but you could kind of chalk it up to like weird stuff happening with the camera or like like glitches with the technology yeah that's what you would usually would happen in a found footage film but i think what really and why this film i think is so goddamn unique is everything that the camera is capture is capturing is supposed to be objective so you're hearing all these alien soundscapes throughout the film and i say camera but i also mean microphone um, you're capturing all these alien soundscapes and all this uh, crazy imagery, and it's supposed to be—it's like actually there. It's not 
camera glitching or distortion. And look, we'll get through a ton of the catalog of found footage films. We have not begun to even scratch the surface, really, of all the insane tropes and tired tropes that will uh, that, 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 you know, that we'll be getting into with the show. Um, but that's definitely one of them is like the camera distortion. And, oh, is it are they actually seeing what they're seeing? And, you know, but this film doesn't do that. It just takes it all as it is. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too. It, it, yeah. And it almost has to be. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Getting at it. Yeah. We're, 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 we're really hyped about the Screaming Snakes. Yeah, the <laughs> we love them. <laughs> so after this, uh, we see uh, Robbie uh, and he finds more uh, trails of blood and the booming sounds return again. They're just part of the they're just part of the world now. And this is actually the first time I think that they can be just broadly heard in daylight. So they're just, you know, yeah. the booms, the booming sounds are just happening. And uh, he tries hiding from the the uh, screaming snakes. We cut to later in the evening, and uh, Robbie finds a, a flashlight on the ground, um, and he touches it, but he doesn't pick it up. He just he just kind of like nudges it and says sorry. And while this is happening, you can hear something in the distance. Uh, and if you put your captions on, it literally says "beast moaning." <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I had that on too. Yeah, like- yeah, that happens a few more times. And uh, we're back at night. We're back in the nighttime. We get you got your little taste of uh, of sun soaked horror, but now uh, now we're back into the true abyss, uh, hellish abyss of of the night. Robbie has found the aftermath of the campsite, which is completely caked in blood, and um, we find a body. Which I, I, I on second viewing, I. I think it's definitely supposed to be Michelle. De- definitely supposed to be Michelle's blo- uh Sorry, Michelle's body just caked in blood, and uh, you can hear a rattlesnake outside. This movie from here on out is just a fucking gore fest. Um, it is a gore, yeah, absolute gore fest. And uh, just the, the the manner in which they keep using blood in this film is always visually kind of interesting. It's not just like you know, blood and gore for the sake of it. Like there, everything is continuously caked in blood. Um, very specific in very specific ways. Uh, I think it's really interesting, but there's there, it gets worse with the gore. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, after this, uh, we cut to the morning again. It was a short night. Um, Robbie completely strips naked, takes all his clothes off. And he uh, calls his mom and says bye. Um, And his mom is just like not wailing on the phone, but she's like just really concerned. Uh, And, uh, you know, she even mentions like they haven't been heard from in days. And uh, she specifically says the line again with the dreams. She says she had a bad dream about Robbie. Um, Again with the dreams. I don't know. I don't know. Um, here we see uh, Robbie has actually set the camera down in the scene, like next to the phone, and we so we hear the whole conversation, and Robbie just kind of like wandering around naked. And I did. I got the impression that he wasn't even. He never even heard this message. 
he it was just us hearing it. Well, no, yeah, I don't think. Well, I think objectively, like in this scene, he wasn't paying attention to any fucking thing his mom was saying. The phone's on the ground, and he's like kind of wandering oh, around. He's definitely not paying attention to a single thing going on. But you think the phone is li- like literally playing this message? And that I think it's pick. I think the microphone is picking it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's an interpret. I, I definitely yeah. That's possible. Maybe I missed that. Well, I think that's a kind of an important thing. Like, because they do, um, you know, there is text at the beginning that says, uh, hey, this film is completely in chronological order. We didn't edit anything out of order. And it like that's so important, you know, but it's just interesting because the movie moving forward, like there was a moment where I remember, wait a minute, this is video footage. So yeah, this can't be a hallucination. (laughs) No, yeah, I and that's one of the that's one of the huge points that gets brought up with this film is um is it always gets brought up like hey you know it could be just them hallucinating on drugs why is the camera showing it then that's the whole point like the whole point is that this is an objective view of what happened yeah uh, which is amazing for for this film to do uh first off like yeah again big big ass swing um and and a a really make you forget that this is found footage but like make it in a way that like makes sense like and not just like makes sense but like makes you like more immersed and most importantly Um, or film good film first good film first please (laughs) (laughs) the form exactly um but play with the form play with the form and break the rules and that's exactly what they do uh zach did you miss the screaming uh snake creatures because they're back uh and they attack robbie hey, I, I sure missed them dude, I so much i, I was <laughs> yo what if what are screaming snake creatures up to right now listen every time that the screaming snake creatures aren't on screen you should be asking where are the snake where are the screaming snake creatures <laughs> Where are the scary? Yeah. What, what are they doing? <laughs> um. Yeah, but they attack again. Um. And uh, <laughs> they attack again. They tend to do that. Uh. And uh, we cut to the evening again, where the the beast, the beast can be heard again. Um. And you still don't really know if this is a beast. Um. If this, if you're just watching without closed captions, I have no idea what I. I mean, I just thought this was part of the natural soundscape uh natural soundscape uh when i when i hear when i keep hearing these sounds but uh it's definitely supposed to be something very specific um it like especially in this scene it just wails loudly again the theater i was in was tight so loud so loud and even like my friends were like hey the movie kind of was too loud and i was like nope that's the mix that is the mix of this (laughs) film and you were going through sensory overload which I <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed. Personally. Yeah, <laughs> I personally enjoyed uh, enough dark wave music. And, uh, <laughs> listen, I listen I listen to enough neoclassical dark wave <laughs> to be able to interpret uh, to be able to find enjoyment in this stuff. Um, yeah. All right, yeah. So we cut to night again. Um, he starts to kind of just like talk to himself and he asks himself, who, who am I? Who am I? Just over and over and over again. Um, but he does remember that his name's Robbie. He does remember that Robbie actually finally acknowledges the bushes rustling and he 
calls out for help, but he hears a high pitched whistling. And this is when the sky, that like dark blue sky in the distance, it opens up again. And what do we see? But a, uh, the man with the ax, um, he's standing on the hill. Uh, he's standing on a hill again. Uh, well, Robbie is trying to remember his name. So he's just like, it's, it's basically a repeat of the first of the, of, of the night. Everything went wrong, but Robbie's just kind of like, so you're, and I, uh, you and I, me, it's just, it's just like comprehend what's going on. It's really, it's, it's really, it's kind of interesting The it, it's funny. Cause the, the ax man really isn't uh, much of a threat right now. Uh, he's kind of just standing there and Robbie turns the camera to his face. This is uh, we're finally seeing Robbie's face for the first time since everything, since everything went to shit and uh, Robbie's completely bloodied. Um, well, actually no, I'm lying. Cause we did see him naked um, while he was wandering off, but Robbie points the camera straight at his face. Um, this is the first time where he, where we hear some like owls. I think we hear some like high pitched hooting, it definitely feels like the most actually natural sound effect uh, that's part of this soundscape. But then those sounds kind of turn to like ghostly birds and those um, are actually important and, and do signify something that we'll get to in just a, just a, just a bit. Um, turns the camera around and he finds his uh, bloodied self standing right right there. And we can totally, I, I think it's supposed to be pretty, wa- pretty well known right now that this is, this is Robbie, this, this man, this is this bloodied man standing there. This is Robbie. He's naked, bloodied. He's standing right next to, um, our, our, you know, our Robbie. And, uh, uh, he tells it to, he tells his self to go away. Um, and he kind of just like wanders off after that. But his, his, you know, the the other version of him just keeps following him, but not really in a malicious way, just kind of in like a confused way, kind of like how Robbie is currently, uh, just like confused. And we set the uh, he sets the, he sets the camera on the ground again, and we hear the earth rumble, and uh, Robbie just kind of sits there and plays with some rocks and sand. He doesn't really know what to do. Uh, that is until he starts wandering through the night again. Um, and all these rocks and debris start to actually like fall around him. I think he's supposed to be in a place we've visited a couple times already where they're in like this crevice. Yeah, it's not like an earthquake or anything, but there is like debris that's like starting to fall on him. And we see the strobing light and a voice, a faint voice far off in the distance. We really don't know what that is um, or really ever know what that is. Um, and I, I can't really say for sure what it is. But Robbie calls out to it. He says, hi, uh, he says, hello. And his voice actually starts echoing and he reaches for the light with his, with his bloody hand, which is really a striking image. Um, and he is sucked into this wormhole that starts screeching loudly. We see this thing happen twice in this film. So something, this is where, okay, this is where time starts to get fucked. <laughs> Because this is where he goes through this wormhole. We can kind of infer that this is some kind of portal. Um, an, an impossible, a, a fool's task. Yeah. You might say. yeah. <laughs> Especially for first time watchers. Yeah, like, 
what is happening in this moment or like throughout the rest of the movie. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I, I actually think one thing that is kind of, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting you, but the, no, 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 go I, ahead. I, go I, ahead. I'm talking a lot. About this movie is it, as you're watching it, it kind of seems like none of it makes sense, but if you actually pay attention, there's like just enough to like walk away with yeah, like some understanding of what is happening. And no, uh, you like, can't put everything specifically. You're not ever going to get all the answers, but uh-huh. you can get a general idea. Yeah, no, even in, I, and I, I, you know, I think I said before, but like in my second watch, you know, it seems like when you're first, wa- when you're first watching this, things go out of hand and you're just taking it all in. Um, but when you, when you have some idea of what's happening um, and you're watching it for a second time, uh, it's not actually, you know, with all the time dilation stuff and this wormhole thing, it's not, it doesn't seem as crazy because it only happens, I think, like, in this film, I think there is only one time jump. We're supposed to infer that, or one time, uh, it's not really a time jump, it's like, I don't know, time is nonlinear at this point, um, but it's awesome yeah, because is, it's a, time is nonlinear. But it's awesome because we're seeing it in the objective view of one camera. Um, yeah. Which is why this is so cool. But really, this only happens twice. So I think there's only two times where time starts to get really wonky. Um, but after that, well, time starts. What's that? There's a big thing coming up. <laughs> but, yes. Yeah. Um, well, we're already we're already up the, at the wormhole. <laughs> um, so we're getting there <laughs> yeah, quickly. Um, he's transported underwater and he sloshes through and he sees the white tear, uh, once again. And, uh, he, he's transported back outside, uh, and he's in broad daylight, but he starts just throwing up a tremendous amount of blood. Like almost like in this shot, they poured like a whole bucket of blood on the ground it is it is like a viscous blood it's really uh, uh again like a striking image but um also one of the first like really gross gross things that that happened like straight on but he tear he tears off this like yeah. this film that's encasing his body he starts like pulling it off his toes uh but it's like all over him and it's like encasing him this like gooey membrane uh and he starts to just like tear it off uh and i'm like what the fuck what is this do you have any idea what this is i i honestly the first time i saw it i thought it was even worse because i it looked to me i thought at first he was like ripping the top layer of his skin skin off off. yeah you thought he was doing that to himself that's not no this is not the scene with self-mutilation we'll get to that though uh, no, yeah, no, this is different. He has like a like a membrane. Yeah. Of white. It's it's fleshy though. It's fleshy. It's, like, it's really gross. Oh, it's so gross. It's no, like squeaking no too. The sound design makes it worse. The sound design makes it so much it's worse. It's so squelchy. Yeah. Like it, it happens one more time later on in the film, I I think. And I think it's also when he goes through he jumps the, through that like the similar well again. thing again. Yeah. And comes out with like the membrane stuff on him. So it almost, it feels my read is that like when he travels through that, that is like 
the heart of whatever is wrong with this place. Yeah, yeah. Is like there. And so when he travels through it, it's like he's going through like another habitat almost. It's almost like if you went to like a swamp in Louisiana and you came out the other end, you would be just covered in like sweat and bog smell. And yeah. Like all this stuff. I think it's kind of like that where he's just suddenly going through almost like another ecosystem. But a cosmic and version of it. One that like exists in another uh, like <sighs> – because it's not it's like, not it's not in our it's in another dimension basically it's in the, yeah, it's inside it like, of the event horizon yeah and so when he comes out he's like covered in whatever you know their equivalent of like foliage and shit is yeah which is like this nasty snot stuff that is left behind by who knows what like yeah i mean that's that's uh that's a great point because I think one of the things that this film is letting on is that like this thing that this part of existence has always been, I think it speaks to one of the themes that I grab from this in that nature is supposed to be this cosmic unknowable thing um, that we can never predict. And this is really one of the first scenes that I think nails that down. It also kind of sinks into the other uh, theme that I point out during you know this film and that's the mother the theme about mothers uh, because it feels like he's being rebirthed as well mm. it seems like this is like he's being birthed out yeah that's a good I mean that is a very good I mean he's basically a baby at this point yeah like he's naked he's he's a he's a baby um also just want to throw this out there uh i just realized looking at the scene again that um there's totally uh you know my whole my whole theory of that being like the heart of what was going on when he looks at the blood mucus stuff that's on the ground there's also we get a visual of a little bee caught in the blood yeah yeah that's that's like scene, a, right and it's like oh you know maybe that's a Maybe that's represent a representation of like you know when I think of a bee, like a hive, you know, like he hive, just went through, yeah. he just went through the uh, the nest, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that makes complete. I that 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 rings true to me, um, especially because I I think a clear visual representation of that is shown at toward the end of this film. It could be seen as like a biblical thing. As well, because you know bees, locusts. I don't know. That's something. Though, that's also something that runs through my head. Uh, but I can't really expand on that. Snakes. What's that? Snakes. Also snakes. The- snakes. And the snakes come back. The snakes are returning. Donkeys. If, if you miss the snake, the yeah, donkeys awesome. come back too. They, that all happens right after this. Some creatures come. Uh, our our fan favorite. Uh, the the uh, screaming snakes come running back. And Robbie runs away sobbing, and he runs into the donkeys, who make Sorry, their I appearance. He canceled. Is this? Do you think that this is the cave that Jesus emerged from <laughs> on his reaper? Yeah, the Mormons were right. Jesus is Jesus is from America. <laughs> they came out of this cave. <laughs> this was the cave. This is the cave where Mormonism was born. Maybe um, connected to the. Uh, uh, I mean, there is some. Bi- I I do. 
I do think there's some biblical stuff going on in this film, especially when we- kind of, the biblical animals are kind of stacking up though. When you look at them, snakes and donkeys are kind of definitely, definitely. Yeah. That, uh, snakes and donkeys, the bees, uh, you know, the bees is locusts. And in a bit, we actually will see Robbie, like just straight up, like praying. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a sec here. But uh, one of the most important scenes happens uh, that really cues you in on what's going on with time. Right after this, they, you know, you see the donkeys come back. Um, but uh, most more importantly, we see, well, nothing's more important than the donkeys. But right after this, we see Robbie. Um, he's pointing the camera at a group in the distance. Uh, and he yells out for them and they don't answer. This is the group. The, the only four characters in this film, this is them. Um, he is, he has somehow like repeated the, the, the time there. He has gone back in time, it seems. And, uh, he is, uh, looking at the group, uh, kind of just walking around. Um, so I think from that, we can infer that the figure Robbie saw when he was pointing his camera is, is Robbie now, you know, is Robbie as we're seeing him now, um, kind of just wandering around. Um, so that's where things start to make a little bit more sense and start to really, uh, you know, it, it's the biggest cue as to, Hey, is to, you know, what's happening with time here. And, uh, going into this movie, I had no idea that this movie was going to fuck with time. Uh, and seeing this, uh, you know, it, it just, you know, it just keeps your mind racing, which is, I think it's such a, such an important aspect of this film. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Yeah. Cause then like all the rules go out the window. Yeah. You know, at this point, I mean, if they hadn't already, like, this is the moment where it's like, all right, well, and this was the first, one of the first moments that tricked me into like really thinking, is that a mirage? Is he just seeing that? And you totally forget. It's almost like his, you know, the the found footage, the camera POV becomes his head and you forget, you forget you're not looking out of his eye holes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you think like, you're seeing him in a subjective view, but it's like, no, 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 they got this. We're looking at footage someone else got from a camera. That also does hint at, like, this This also hints at why it's possible for them to be attacked by a man with an axe who's covered in blood. Because if that is Robbie, then this is almost, like, synonymous with the moment where he is looking across like the dried up lake bed and seeing the man covered in blood or the red person across seeing the himself. Way. Yeah. I, I did mention that. Blood. And it's hard to tell though, because when you're looking at when you're seeing the beginning of that movie, you're just kind of seeing a figure, but yeah, now it just kind of starts to starts to add up a bit more. And just when you think the movie, uh, when you start to, you know, get what's going on, uh, they throw more stuff at you. <laughs> We, you know, almost immediately, because uh, we follow then Robbie uh, finding these uh, this trail of holes in the desert. Um, yeah. That actually starts to make more sense with one specific scene uh, that we'll get to at the very end. We then find um, he finds Michelle laying on the ground, bloodied in the dried up lake, and she runs away from him. Uh, like continuously, like it never, it feels like it never stops him just like chasing after Michelle, uh, and Michelle who's, who's all bloodied up now. It is, I, I thought this scene is also one of my favorite scenes in this movie. 
this was this is such a great scene. God, um, this scene is iconic to me. This is I- like it's iconic. All time great horror scenes. You look at it and you immediately know you're looking at like one of the best visuals in a horror movie. Like absolutely, <laughs> it's so dreamlike. It feels like a bad nightmare. It feels like you had a, you're having a weird one. You ate too much pizza right before you went to bed. <laughs> uh, and it is just like yeah it feels like it goes on for like just a little too long yeah because like and, and it's, it's even crazier because like he starts to almost like catch her but then she just keeps running away from like it's not like he can't catch her like he does catch her but she just yeah. gets back up and runs and, and like it just can't so it's like this is i think it's the movie trying to tell you that this is a, a kind of like a loop um yeah it's weird it is it's like she's stuck it's like she's trapped or something. Cause she she's does, trapped. Yes. She lies down again and then she gets back up. There's also like this fucking, this moment that is so unsettling to me. When she gets back up the second time and the camera's upside down and the camera's like kind of static and she runs, her arms, the way she runs, like, I don't know if you're looking, I don't it's know a, if you're, it's you know, a, it's a great like, horror movie run. It, it, her arms are just like kind of like swaying side to side. And as she gets further from the camera, it's the most alien looking unnatural silhouette. I almost questioned if this was actually Michelle because it's just like, she doesn't run like a human. She <laughs> runs like something that is like approximating a human that, that doesn't know how to hold itself. <laughs> like it's really weird. Yeah. Cause it's a thing where it's like, she's not really like, she's running away and kind of screaming, but she's not really like running for her life. No, she's not. She's not. And that might be a signifier of her being like, like they've been doing this forever. There, there are a few cuts. So, but it might be like yeah. a cut where it's like, Oh, they did this for hours and hours and hours. Uh, but we're cutting around it. That's my impression is that he's just running with her. He's running with her. her yeah. And they're both running just like aimlessly. Yeah, it is again uh, an incredible, incredible image uh, in not just found footage horror, but just horror. It's it's really it's it's something special. It's really something special uh, with this scene here, and it's also a signifier for me that gets into one of my other um, interpretations of what's going on, uh, specifically with the characters. Uh, and what their state is, they seem to be in a position of unending death where they're dead. They are dead. All of them are dead, but they are doomed to kind of be in this state of undeath. Is that, does that makes any sense? Um, no, that is, exactly, that is exactly the vibe that I got from exactly is that they are they're trapped um they're trapped in their own death it's which which makes the phone call at the beginning make more sense yeah so they're i i think they're trapped in like this uh, this state of undeath because of what's happening with time and the nature of how time is sort of works and you know in in whatever in into whatever realm that they've that they've stepped into so when they when they physically die they can't like when they so when they when they're hurt or when they you know when they're supposed to be dead they kind of just get looped back into the same scenario over and over and over again and that is pretty much laid clear in the next scene I I, I think 
where they just kind of repeat the first night while they're all while they're all bloodied they're all still bloodied it's the same scene pretty much but they're it's it's happening in the chronologically with the film where they're still all they're still all bloodied but their their minds aren't in the same place I didn't even notice that it was like literally the same night, but yeah, you're right. It was it's- like, it was, I think it was supposed to like mirror the same night where, where Robbie's telling, uh, or Robbie's telling Scott to like, Hey, you like look outside and, but they're like all, they're both fucking so bloody. That's exactly what we see next when we cut back to the night and, uh, he hears everyone screaming at first and he asks himself like, do you see it? Uh, but we don't know what's going on. Um, he sees the strobing light again. And while and it after it squall after it screeches again, um, he's back at the campsite with his friends like nothing happened, not like it's just it's just the night again and he's with his friends. You know Michelle's singing all the pretty little horses. Michelle actually she's while she's singing she actually is kind of like cackling as well while she's singing it. She starts laughing, but yeah they're back in the tent and um, Scott leaves the tent again, and it's really he's like sitting in an o- his own pool of blood basically. And uh, Robbie now finds himself again with uh, with bloodied Ange, and she just straight up said like they're both like kind of it seems like they're both hiding from something like they're both scared like they kind of know what's going on, but they don't like they don't really know why they're with each other again. But Ange just says, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> um, this is this is the scene now where Robbie just starts praying and they hear a woman sobbing um, now. This scene that happens right now, this scene here uh, is kind of confounding to me. Uh, everything that happens at this point on. they uh, Robbie hears a woman whose voice calls out to Robbie. They unzip the tent. And what's supposed to be the outside of the tent is now the inside of Robbie's mom's house that we see at the beginning of the movie. And Robbie's mom is crying. Uh, this scene is so bizarre. Off the charts zany. <laughs> it's it's wacko world. <laughs> it's fucking wacko town right now in, in, in the We're Outwaters the- world. <laughs> yeah, he's on the yellow brick road. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Robbie turns his light on. And his mom, he finds his mom also covered in blood. She's like, hey, welcome home. And but she just she just leaves. What ends up happening is he he finds himself staring at Scott through the window of a bloodied airplane. Right, right, right. Uh, But yeah, he tells him he's sorry and the and that he loves him. And the plane just starts roaring and we see the tear again and that's where the scene ends um but my god like what i i i still don't know what to make of this <laughs> uh, <laughs> i i'm really like i'm stri- I, i'm at a loss here with with this like i can um, kind of put together what's going on in the rest of the movie this scene throws everything off to me i love it i love this scene but it i i, I can't i don't know i don't know what the fuck's going on <laughs> Yeah, this is the one where it's like also when you take when you take it to be literal, which it ha- kind of has to be. Is like when he is literally seeing this. He's seeing this. He's literally seeing this. So 
it, it really brings the scale of what is happening in this movie to like just an apocalyptic <laughs> like level like where it's just like it, you know it kind of connects to the, the 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 her phone call about having a bad dream about him because it, it implies it's like the reach of this thing of its influence is like it's not just restricted to this place in a weird way I mean, it kind of is because it's restricted to their. It's it's restricted to the character's state of mind. I think, like, there is something fucking with Robbie specifically. I I I feel right. Well, there's something fucking with them, and I think it is because they came here. Yeah, but in a weird time kind of way, it's like they came there. Because they were fated to go there because they came there. So now they're marked. <laughs> so his mom is having bad dreams prior to them going there about something bad happening to them because they went there, even though they haven't been there yet. But they are. But the universe go knows that they're going there. Because they go they, because they went there. They went so there. God damn. <laughs> Like, it's all this loopy you know, shit. Um, it's that, that is uh, genuinely I, really interesting. It's definitely one of the more interesting like time loop movies that I've seen in recent years, and uh, the the fact that it's all found footage is 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 what really does it in, because it again it's an objective view. But as you said, like the scale of it is way broader than what you imagine. Um, one thing about the airplane thing. I think I brought this up earlier. I mentioned airplane stuff because we do get a shot earlier on of them, I think, flying over some of this. Uh, you do. Yeah, I will say. And, and in fact, the last uh, skipping to yeah. the last scene in the movie, the last sound you hear yeah. is an airplane. The last sound you hear at the very end of the movie is an airplane. And it looks like a main character is acknowledging yeah. the airplane up above, which is a really creepy concept. So I think this might be a glimpse. This thing you're seeing of Robbie on the airplane, or sorry, not Robbie. Um, you're seeing Scott. Scott on the airplane might be a glimpse of Scott on the plane on their trip here. Like I think that might be a glimpse of them it on has their to way. Be. Yeah, which is fucked up. Which <laughs> is so fucked, so fucked, dude. It's so fucked. Um. We then see uh, right after this a uh, the silhouette of Michelle appears. Um, when it, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Michelle, uh, and um, the light um, starts strobing again. Again, like strobing lights can't deal with them. Don't watch this film. And uh, after this, Michelle is sitting on the ground uh, and she starts speaking very weird language. I don't think that this is. I don't think she's speaking English. The subtitle, the subtitles don't depict anything. She's speaking in a weird language. I don't know what it is. And if it is a, an actual language, uh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I think it's supposed to be some kind of uh, weird alien language. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it's it's really creepy. And uh, this is when the tear appears uh, again. And a voice that I can't make out says... It's all around us. And uh, we then see Robbie, who appears next to a flickering flashlight on the ground. And he picks it up 
and he starts looking at a pool of blood on the ground where he says, do you see it? I think he's supposed to be talking to Ange, but we see don't see Ange because he is still supposedly like with her. Like she's the last person we see with Robbie before he goes into goes into the, the strange vision of his house um, before he sees his mom. We see the donkeys. We don't really see them. It's still pitch black out with the flashlight illuminating like just like a tiny circle of the screen. But they can definitely be heard along with some form of chanting. Um, and he f- starts following this bloody figure. And he tells himself that he's okay while people are just heard screaming. The screaming of his friends starts to become kind of a regular motif uh, sonic motif from here on out kind of in the vein the same vein as the thunderous booms we we hear uh, you know in the, in the soundscape the strobing light returns again and robbie finds a large indistinguishable creature that we just start seeing parts of um it starts making some sounds before it lets out a huge whale and we start hearing bones cracking and flesh ripping zach we're it's just it's a goddamn monster we're 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 now in the in a in a monster movie we're here yeah no it's like literally and this is the moment where you can like see some of it yeah you see some of it but it's like it you don't really it nothing about it is distinguishable but you still do see Uh-oh. limbs of it it's so, it like sort of starts to look like a crocodile, I thought. At first, I thought this was supposed... Since you do hear the donkey sounds, I yeah. thought this was supposed to be what the donkeys turn into, and it was kind of like an amalgamation of the donkeys put together into some body horror creature, like Cronenberg-esque yeah. creature. But I don't... That, that's not what it's supposed to be, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, because I had the captions on, and they also said, like, creature braying. And I was like, oh, well, I guess donkeys bray. But, yeah, you don't really get to see... Me thinks I'm right. uh, You don't really get to see... It it just doesn't make any sense. Like, like, you look (laughs) at... It's, like, honestly, like, masterful camera work and cinematography, because it is so pointed. Like, there's so many movies that, like do this thing, this is what I said earlier, where they, like, hide what stuff and don't show you it in the name of being scary so your imagination can, like, make up something scarier. Yeah, so you can fill in the blanks. They genuinely have something very scary that they could show you, and they're just deciding not to. And, like, you can tell because they... Yeah, or that they're showing enough of showing enough of it but i feel like if i asked the filmmaker like hey do you have like a a model a concept of what that thing looks like yeah. i'll be like yeah i think i got an idea because it's so specific it's like so specific what they show you yeah i'm gonna that, i'm like, gonna dm robbie banfitch and be like listen show me show me the concept art <laughs> yeah show, so, I, I need to see show me the creature you're like okay that's a foot like that's the, like it's not like completely yeah you do see like limbs and it all just looks like a bloody mess but it is it is like it does have like form to it um yeah it has form but the sound it makes 
is more of a descriptor than it's, you know, than, than the visual here, uh, which, which I think is the, you know, the real, uh, artistry of it, of, of this whole creature here, this whole, this whole monster sequence. And man, while I'm watching this scene, I'm just like, God damn, this movie's got everything. This movie's got everything. Yeah, everything. This movie it's has got, a killer with an axe. It's got a monster. It's got time being fucked up. You got screaming snakes. What you more got, do you, you have scream the screaming snakes. What do you get? What, what else do you need? Come on. Literally, what more do you need? Um, we got a woman running in a desert on a loop forever. It's a whole, it's a whole smorgasbord of fun. That, that is that is the thing about this movie is I that is so refreshing is that I, I just feel like so many so much of this genre and this like specific form is about like like kind of a lack of creativity and like being able yeah. to avoid actually coming up with things so or yeah. or just like trying to branch out but you end up you know being you know being restricted and falling into yeah. like the same tropes over and over again you know so, so you know some more yeah. admirable uh faults than uh than uh ones that are you know completely bad and we'll get to the bad ones don't worry but yeah this movie this movie has enough to show you this movie has shit to show you this movie has shit to show you even when it doesn't show you anything it still has shit to show you yeah it still has shit to show you even as it's not showing you things yeah it's crazy yeah show them um (laughs) uh robbie runs away uh, from the monster and he finds uh he finds Ange again in her tent um and they they try hiding um but you can't hide from this thing but you, what you hear is another uh, and this is distinct i think this is supposed to be another creature of kind of the same magnitude um but it's definitely a different sound um it definitely the sound has a different identity to it so i think it's a different monster or it could be the same monster. I don't know. Uh, it's all very ambiguous, obviously. But um, it starts like whistling. It, that's the thing that gets me. It's like we definitely heard like a creature, the monster like roar and howl. And but this, the creature starts to whistle, and the tent just starts ripping. And you hear all these violent rips and sounds of the tent being destroyed. Um, and uh, we get a little bit of tentacle action. Um, we start to see tentacles appear. <laughs> we start to see uh, tentacles appear uh, and start wrapping around Robbie's uh, ankle. Um, they start uh, wrapping themselves around Robbie and Ange. They're screaming and you know they're they're terrified. This is the most eldritch thing that happens uh, in this film that has happened in this film so far, and totally just gives this away as like pure cosmic horror basically and then another kind of strange thing that i can't kind of that i can't really wrap my head around happens uh is um you know in the midst of all this horror and starts to look kind of she looks like she's turned on um and she starts rubbing her bloody breasts i think this is supposed to be some sort of acceptance of the situation like listen, we're all fucked, you know, why not? That's also something that I think has to do with the end of the film. Um, like something also very extreme. I mean, everything in this, everything in this last half is extreme, but this is, this feels 
weird. I mean, it, it starts to feel weirdly out of place for a reason. I don't know. Did you, did you get anything from uh, this? I, so my only interpretation was, okay, again, because like there is some stuff here where it's like, this seems a lot of the imagery you're seeing seems connected to Robbie's psyche in a lot of ways. Uh huh. Um, like him seeing his mom's home and seeing Scott on the plane. Uh, I feel like... Do you think it might be like a Freudian thing? I think it's like a kind of Freudian thing that he feels for Ange. Because mm-hmm. um, you do get the scene earlier. Like, I mean, it's very subtle and, may, and barely there. But like, he's the one that talks to her and invites her out, right? Yeah, they're, uh, they have the closest relationship. They have um, the closest relationship. Besides the bro- him and his brother. She's not contributing to the music video. Like she's not the musician. She's not. She's like, doing supposed to be doing like hair and makeup and things like that. Oh, okay, yeah. But I get the sense that like, like it's a very low key, in, like independent sort of production they got going on. Yeah, here. yeah. Um, there's four of them. <laughs> there's four of them, but but they they you know the band is Michelle and some other guy that doesn't show up, and they were going out to shoot Michelle's music video. Yeah. And they invite who, somebody who they know is there, a friend of theirs, Ange, to come along because she's there. And I feel like the the makeup thing is just kind of like a an excuse of a role to have her be able to be around and hang out and be on this little vacation. Yeah. Trip. There's one scene where she, where Robbie's where Robbie's like, "Oh, hey, fix her hair." Yeah, and that's like, like the extent like, of the work. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's a scene where they're like partying in an apartment, like they're clearly like kind of hanging out uh, more than the others, like they're alone. And also, there's a mention of when Robbie, I think it's Robbie, is talking to her over a video chat. There's a mention of her being married. I think. Yeah, she's married. She is married. And Robbie's the one who brings it up, I think, who asks her. Yeah, well, they're actually, this is actually um, when she actually uh, gets to him. Robbie asks her, um, has married life and stuff like that, I think. Yeah, Robbie asks, how's married life? Which, like, Prior to the scene, I didn't think anything of, but reflecting on that line, it is funny because, like, literally on my first watch through when that happened, I remembered that line where he asked, how's married life? Uh Um, And I do think there is, like, a sort of, like, Freudian, like, I kind of want to screw my friend, but I can't because she's married. That's, like, the only real, that's the only way I can really read this. Otherwise, I, I'm not sure. Otherwise, yeah. yeah, and uh, I did read something from someone that said, uh, you know, that there's a, there's definitely a trope uh, in horror about um, scary, scary tits, and uh, you know, if if you saw like Barbarian earlier this year, um, oh yeah, or uh, you know, there, and I definitely it starts to make sense like when you see more, you know, you, you do see that a lot in horror movies. Um, so it is the closest thing I'd say to a traditional horror trope. It's supposed I think to be like kind of off-putting and scary. And uh, that can have its own connotations, like either positive or negative. I, I think it's really up to up to the viewer to kind of interpret that themselves. No, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I, I think I, I do think my interpretation is there is a genuine psychological reason for why. You're yeah. That. Yeah. To me, I think that I think it's Maybe like an, the mom stuff a little bit. But who knows? Yeah, that should come together. Um, uh, after this, the strobing appears, um, and Robbie 
just starts hovering away. Like he's being lifted off the ground and he's being taken somewhere. Uh, the monster can be heard growling. And there's also the sound of a clock that starts ticking. Basically, the monster appears to have taken him to the hatchet that is embedded in the ground. And all of the sound starts to mid out. And you just hear a voice that is so obviously a demon voice saying, show them. And we are transported again into the rushing river where we hear more screams of all the friends and sounds of orcas uh, for some reason. Um, yeah, there's orcas. There's, there's orca sound specifically. It's in the closed captions. <laughs> um, and uh, Robbie is submerged and the tear appears again. And he's sucked back into the vortex uh, from a, uh, from a few scenes ago. The scene before he was put in like that that membrane thing. He went through this like wormhole first. So Robbie goes through this this same like vortex again, and we see him rapidly moving through all of these lights um, until he stops. And we all we see is these scattered white dots with uh, heavenly music heard in the background. When I first watched this, I thought this was supposed to represent all of the souls that the uh, desert has taken, maybe. I think that's completely wrong now. I think I like your interpretation better that it it is kind of like this hive. Uh, You know, that would relate to what the bees uh, are in the film. But yeah, if you want to expand more on that, because this is definitely the the clear visual representation of that whole idea that I was talking about. Motherfucker, we get Space Odyssey. Like, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're, like, seeing a more clear view of that, of that thing that already happened to him earlier. The impression I get based on the movement is that, like, he's being, like... He's getting sucked through it like a pipe. Like, he is just, like, flying through... I don't even know, like dimension. Like he's just like he's clearly not in our reality anymore. Um, clearly not. Think, no, he's in some alien kind of, world. I think when he got sucked, when earlier when he went through that wormhole, like this is what happened to him. We just didn't see this part. But we would have seen. Big- but we would have seen everything because the camera is depicting everything. Correct. Well, no, except there's like a ton of stuff the camera doesn't depict. Like it doesn't show you every second. Well, of I wouldn't laundry. think you would cut around that the first time you know if you're cutting but you're cutting to it now almost like the foot my interpretation was just there's parts of the footage that's like damaged that they just like don't they don't like it's not necessarily maybe it's the it's literally the camera but i don't know here's the thing because i will say in the same way that there are sounds in this film that are hard to interpret because it's all that the mic can pick up, and it's also maybe all our actual objective human hearing can comprehend, but it's actually a lot more descriptive than how it's being let on. It's just like sounds that a, a natural, a normal microphone just can't pick up because they're so otherworldly. In the same sense, maybe that this is something a camera just can't decipher. Well, here's here's my other reasoning for why I think this has already happened to him. We just didn't see this part. Is towards the end of it, we see two things that we've already seen 
when he went through that wormhole, which is you get that flash of like the crack with the flashing strobe light. Yeah. Like very quick, but you get that. And that is exactly something you saw when he went through the wormhole before you saw that same image. And then Uh when he gets spit out, you see he has like more of that nasty, like mucus stuff on him that he starts pawing at on his Yeah. Yeah. Before. So I think he's literally being spit out in different parts of the desert. Like, I think he goes through something and then it like, spits him out well he seems to visit but he seems to visit places over and over again he does i'm saying it just in this instance like literally at the end of this sequence unless this is like a cut where he's leaning over it could be that but my interpretation Mm -hmm. is this moment like right after that wormhole part is literally what happens right it looks like he's being spit out of something like he's stumbling totally yeah like he's being shot out of a cannon you know (laughs) what i mean like (laughs) yeah um which would make sense with the motion because it looks like he's really zooming through some stuff. He's, like, he's definitely zooming. Yeah. So then the end of that is like, poo, he spit, he gets spit out. And that's when he sees like the sign. Um, but I think, I think that is what, I think this thing is what happened to him earlier. I think he, this is the wormhole. We're just seeing a new visual within it. New visual representation of the before. wormhole. Okay. And then he gets spit out. Every time he gets spit out somewhere new. And this might even be happening to him more times than we even see on the camera. But this is what the camera took. That's what the camera caught of it. Yeah, this is what the camera caught of it. Because we don't don't know. Like, card could be damaged. Like, he's brain dead. He could have the camera off by accident sometimes and then on other times. Yeah, it, it looks to me like he gets spit out and then he's covered in that shit again. Yeah. If you think you know what's going on and you think that time loops and uh, and eldritch beings and, you know, unknowable cosmic entities in nature are really, you know, really the the only things you have to worry about. There's another variable uh, and we get it right here because Robbie is then sucked back out into the desert. And after seeing the tear again, he finds a restricted area sign buried underneath uh, some shallow dirt where he also finds a gas mask. What did, what did you make of that? Uh, so, I mean, my interpretation of this is like they went somewhere that they weren't supposed to. And this is some sort of like quarantined government restricted area. Yeah. There's some sort uh, of quarantine zone. I have a, I have a wild idea. I think whatever meddling, maybe, because this is, like, listen, this is the Mojave Desert that they're in. Mm -hmm. All media depicts the Mojave Desert as, like, some nuclear testing ground. I think what happened is, I think what happened here is what happened in Twin Peaks The Return. (laughs) Um, I think a nuclear testing happened, and it ripped a hole in the universe uh, and let in all these cosmic horrors um, that are now infecting the desert. And they quarantined it exactly to this specific zone. But damn, like just remember when I said, this is like a smorgasbord. This is now going like, (laughs) you know what though? That would make sense with all the banging. It would make sense with the banging. Yeah. Cause it sounds like a war. 
It sounds like a, it sounds like war. Uh, war is going on, and then there's also the bullet casings. There's also the weird trail of holes that are going on uh, in yeah. that one scene. That's what makes the most sense to me. I don't know. I like that a lot. It's that's, definitely that's it's cool. so fun to think about. But uh, we only got a little bit left of this thing. Robbie then again finds himself in the on the ground in sort of like a fetal position, and his he sees his basically his double. Um, from like another timeline and uh, he has the hatch in his hand and he's just going like, okay, so I'm me, but you're also me. I'm, but I'm me too. He's just kind of like, he's just working it out basically. And the, the, the other version of him starts swinging at him pretty wildly. The, it's, I think it's kind of made clear that the bod, that the double of him is uh, the other version of him is definitely the one that's more insane and probably did all of the other killings. But the monster starts roaring again, uh, and they both run away. And Robbie runs basically just until dawn when he sees all of his friends' decapitated heads on spikes. Uh, they're all propped up on all these tall, these tall pikes, and he sits with them until morning while Robbie starts singing all the pretty little horses to himself. And he um, specifically says bye to uh, Michelle's head. Very grim and very deeply sad, this this scene. So this was, this is pretty much the, the true fates uh, of everyone that, uh, uh, of the four that came into the desert. Uh, Robbie's head isn't there though. Robbie is, you know, the Robbie we see is, is the Robbie basically. But, you know, but the rest of his friends, they're, they're pretty much, they've, at this point, have basically passed on. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. <laughs> But but if truly now, I think they have passed on like and are out of this position of undeath that I think Robbie is basically forever doomed to. And also, by the way, like just great a great horror scene, a great horror yeah. fate. I'd say, kind of reminds me. It's very folk horror. This uh, this last yeah. scene here, very um, like Holocaust or like um, totally yeah, definitely a lot. Of, there's definitely some cannibal Holocaust in here. Do we think Robbie is the one who ultimately kind of did that to them? Yeah, I think that it's, I think it's kind of clear, or not really clear, but like as clear as it can be for this film where um, Robbie was told by the demon to show them and basically just be like, you know, show them. Uh, I don't, I don't know if it's a thing where like, oh, the, the demon, the monster told me to do it. Maybe he was it's trying true. to, well, maybe. Robbie was trying to rid his friends of this time looping hell that he finds himself in. That's, that's a good interpretation. And he's like freeing them from that. It's broad daylight now. And we're at the very end of this film. And let me just say it ends on a absolute banger of a note. (laughs) We're not done. We're we're not done. Yeah. Remember when I said this is a smorgasbord? It's got, uh, it's got a guy cutting his dick off. <laughs> it's got a guy cutting his dick off too. So Robbie finds some tooth on the ground, some like either from the monster or from something. He finds a tooth on the ground. He starts cutting himself. Like he starts cutting his leg a little bit. He just starts mutilating himself. He's kind of at the point now where he's like, man, it doesn't matter at all. What fucking happens to me? I'm stuck here for all eternity in this never ending state of undeath. And um, doesn't stop at just his legs. Uh, he starts 
cutting his own dick off. And uh, we hear everything. And um, we see the severed penis being put on the ground. He puts it in front of the... He basically puts the camera on the ground. And he places the his severed dick just right in full view of the camera. Uh, it's a good prop, I'll say. Uh, it's it's a good uh, a good little prosthetic. Robbie doesn't even stop there. He just guts himself, and he starts walking around with his guts intestines spilling out. In the very last shot, um, we hear an airplane soaring overhead, and Robbie reaches out toward the sky, and that is the Outwaters. I will say. First, that um, I I did hear audible eye rolls at uh, at this last scene here. What I did, people were groaning. They're like, "Oh, I don't know if it was in like because of how uncomfortable they were, or just like, oh, really? They're doing this? Like this is kind of unnecessary." I'm all for it, <laughs> personally. I, I think the movie earns to do this, uh, the right to do this. Yeah, I mean, like. What? I'm I'm astounded by that reaction. Like, yeah, I could definitely feel that in the in the in the theater. It's just haunting. Like it's just a haunting kind of classic horror movie and horror story ending where yeah. you're left with this kind of just final image of like absolute madness. You're just kind of left to like linger in like what just transpired and the implications of it. I mean, I'm sure a bunch of people missed this, but I do think there's like one more final haunting kind of concept, which is that as he looks up, you hear this plane going overhead and his guts are hanging out and spilling out in front of him. And he's, his legs are gangrenous and like yeah. he's like holding his arm up. He's probably gesturing to the airplane that's overhead. There is a thought that occurred to me, which is, is there a him in the airplane looking down at him looking up at him like is it the same plane that they arrived at yeah that and that that's the haunting concept that you would be flying over your your mutilated the place of your death yeah self, looking up at you going oh god get out of here like don't you know yeah don't come here you you'll cut your dick you off. Even, like you have no clue no that clue. you're right like that's i don't know that's just a horrifying image to me you know, yeah, like, one of the most horrifying images you can possibly end and end this movie on. But goddamn, like what a what a rock star of an ending. Yeah, I think that this is rock and roll. I, yeah. yeah. I, um goddamn. Uh and that's I it, it's it, this movie's so goddamn special. Uh I, I I think that uh whatever comes after uh uh this, you know, the next found footage sensation i i think has to pay some sort of homage to this i, I don't know um i think this is really propelling the genre forward yeah. you know getting to this our our last thoughts overall on the uh, waters i i you know i i think this movie's great i think it's important for the found footage genre where you know it takes some wild swings and it's it's just really not afraid to go places i i think there's maybe only like a couple of other found footage movies that you could say are as good as this one. Yeah. Uh, That's my, in my opinion, there's only a couple others that I like. And it warrants. Yeah. And it warrants totally like rewatching over and over and over again, just to find other little things. Cause I found, 
I found so much in that second viewing, uh, especially with closed captions on. Yeah, like there. Honestly, that is what makes stuff like that even creepier. Just the feeling that there, there's more to it. It gives it this feeling of like scale that is kind of I don't know. It just adds adds to the creep factor that there might be stuff you aren't even interpreting. You're not even like sensing. Yeah. Um, you pick up stuff the second time. You're like, oh my god, that was there in plain sight the whole time. Or a sound in the yeah. background. If we're talking about this film. Yeah, or a fucking squelching sound of uh, yeah. raw meat. Um, That's the other yeah, thing. No. Like, this is not only is this, um, you know, and I'm a sound designer, so I'm biased, but not only is this one of the best, probably this is probably the best sound designed found footage horror movie, but also one of like one of the best sound design horror movies I've uh, heard in a while. Um, and uh, and we're coming off of Skinner Inc., which is the last episode, which I also thought had some awesome sound design. But that was definitely more minimal than what was going on here. I mean, the sound in this movie is just so descriptive. It, the soundscape is so immersive, and it just adds to it. Just adds to everything going on. By the way, uh, speaking of Skinamarink, in my research for this film, uh, I realized that like there's a lot of so the director of this movie was interviewed by the New York Times. Yeah, alongside the director of Skinamarink. I gotta read that. Um, they interview each other. They just like it's very short. They ask that's awesome. Question. Um, they should do a podcast there's like a, together. I yeah right. They should. They should do a <laughs> um, there's a lot of weird parallels to this movie in Skin and Marink. Like, yeah, and they came out around the same time. After I saw Skin and Marink, um, is when the trailer for this movie dropped, and I was like, oh my god, a new, an already another new horror thing that I'm gonna be excited about, and. uh yeah, they they knocked yeah, they're it out both, of the park. They're both analog horror movies. They're both. Uh, um, this movie, both The Outwaters, is definitely more. It, it's definitely more. I, I wouldn't say it's traditional, but it is structured in a traditional found footage format. Skinamarink is definitely more yeah. avant garde. Yeah, but I mean, Skinamarink evokes you're looking at like home video footage. It's not literally yeah, that, but it's it, not literally that. Yeah, it, it evokes the feeling of your dad left a camera on the ground you know, uh, in the nineties. Um, yeah. And like, it's meant to kind of like, that's why there's so much footage of like TVs and stuff that are on. Like they both are using. Yeah. But there's no, to both yeah. of them. Uh, they're yeah, both they're... directed by, hold on. This, this shit is crazy. Actually, they're both directed by both filmmakers are, are gay men. They're both movies that feature, uh, very important head injuries uh -huh. with their main character. Yeah. And you seeing through the eyes of people who have head injuries. And do you want to guess how much this movie cost? I don't, yeah, I didn't even see how much How much did Outwaters cost. $15,000. God damn. I, uh, it was exactly the same as Skin and Marink. Um, I don't know how much it grossed, uh, yeah. in fact. But I, I would imagine like uh, this movie did well. <laughs> considering the budget yeah, yeah um, not hard to and i'm so happy about that i really i'm so into this new like hey there's this new horror like low budget diy horror thing out um and it's only playing you know for a select time in theaters you know in in a couple theaters uh you know for a few weeks you know see it while you can uh but then it'll it, you know then it'll be easy to find like on streaming which is fine that's just the time that we live in now um but 
I love that. I love the whole notion. Yeah. I mean, listen, paranormal activity, the best thing that it ever did was doing the whole demand it in your area thing. That was awesome. Yeah. So I love this new, like Skinner Rink was only in theaters for a, you know, a couple of weeks. Outwater is only in, 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 in here for, you know, in theaters for a couple of weeks. I, I love this. Uh, I hope this keeps going. I want to see another DIY filmmaker pop up and, uh, you know, get a few weeks, uh, 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 you know, get his film screened for, uh, for a few weeks, you know, and see, yeah, uh, see what, see awesome. what we can make of it. It's awesome. I love that. Um, and I, I see that as the future of independent, uh, horror filmmaking. And I, and I feel like these guys, uh, you know, Robbie Banfitch and Kyle Edward Ball, they, they, they have their, they have their eyes and ears to the ground, uh, you know, of this movement here. And I hope it, I hope it continues to be a movement because I'm excited to see what, uh, what comes out of it. Yeah. I hope, who knows? Maybe the next one is going to be like, Oh, they just did a, they did a found footage movie or an analog horror movie or whatever it is, but it's like, they found an, uh, another new spin on it. Like we don't have mm-hmm. to stick to, uh, Oh, it has to be in camera. So there's no music. Can't have a score. Uh, no cross cutting, no montages, no style, no dream sequences. Like they, they do, they both relinquished their restrictions and they made unique movies because of it. And that's like, that's dope. Yeah. And I, I just, I just, I hope that this, uh, this is a, you know, a thing that keeps happening. Cause it's, uh, cause I will keep seeing them. I will keep seeing them. And yeah, that's, that's the Outwaters, Zach. That is our mega, our Mondo episode on the Outwaters. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, overall, loved it. Please go watch it. It's on Screenbox right now. It's streaming on Screenbox. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, next week, I think we're going to head back to the past for a time. Um, we're going to, I think we're going to do our Blair Witch episode, guys. I think we're going to, I think it's time to just tackle Blair Witch um for this for this podcast get it not get it out of the way obviously because it's an important film but um definitely uh we we definitely need to get our uh you know our thoughts about the one of the most important found footage films of all time to uh you know continue this show proper and i don't think there's a lot of other found footage films that are coming out soon anyway uh so it's it's a good time to go back to the past a bit and um yeah that is this week's episode of Dark Static. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Schiffer Audio. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd, also at Schiffer, uh, Schiffer Audio. You can see all the films that I watch. Uh, not just found footage, but uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, if you if you ever are interested in my thoughts on, uh, on, 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 on anything else. Uh, but um, I also have a, another podcast. I do audio fiction podcasts. Uh, Blackwood, Gothheim Tale, seven episode dark fantasy, uh, binaural horror series. That is uh, one of, that was my latest project. But there's also uh, Inheritance, Ash Falls, which I Ash Falls, which I mentioned on the show a few times. Um, Zach, uh, I think you got a couple things to plug, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, I mean, well, you can follow me. I'm on Mubi, so you can follow I'm me on there. Mubi. Um, track all the stuff that i'm watching uh i also have my favorite films listed up there but um i'm currently working on well i'm working on a video game i'm writing for a game i it's called sun doesn't set is Mm -hmm. the uh uh, we think the final title i'm actually not sure 
how much I can say about it because I, I'm not sure we might we might have a publisher at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, but keep your eyes open for that if you like. Uh, yeah, if you're a fan of like RPGs, stuff like um, the OG Fallout's Disco Elysium, stuff like that, then um, I think keep your eyes out for sun doesn't set uh, you might enjoy that I, I think it has a pretty good story um if i say so where can so, people uh where can people follow that uh, uh we that? have an instagram uh if you follow instagram if you follow sun sun doesn't set on, on instagram there's also um the studio is called farewell games uh and that's uh like two two separate words farewell um you can you can find us there that's uh we have an instagram there and we will soon have a uh a website as well but uh for now yeah you can follow us there as we start to grow and get that stuff established awesome well this has been dark static and uh yeah we'll uh we'll be back next time